You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. If the Empire has this kind of power, what chance do we have? What chance do we have? The question is what choice? Run, hide, plead for mercy, scatter your forces. You give way to an enemy this evil with this much power, and you condemn the galaxy to an eternity of submission. The time to fight is now! Welcome everyone to Trek FM's dedicated General Geek Show. I'm just ecstatic to be here with you. It's it's going to be a fantastic show. Last show of 2016, if you're listening to this in perpetuity, you can just ignore that. We're excited to be here tonight to dive into at what's going to be, I guess, a brand new holiday tradition, a Star Wars special every single year. I mean, just a Star Wars film. I guess they don't really want us thinking about the Star Wars special, but um, we're going to be talking about Rogue One tonight, and I can't wait to dive in with some incredible gentlemen. I have with me for the very first time in the 602 Club, the one, the only, Brandon Shea Medulla. I am one with the Force and the Force with me. I am one with the Force and the Force with me. I'm one with the Force and the Force with me. I, he, he's praying like that's going to help him on the show. <laughs> uh, he'll learn. I'm happy learn. to be here. <laughs> well, welcome, man. It's great to have you. Uh, I'm so excited that you're here to talk about this. And as well... Um, it is in the bylaws of the 602 Club. Uh, he's broken it a few times, but he's back. The one and only John Mills. Yeah, I figured I'd come on back and dust off the old chair. Don't want my groove getting worn out by uh, being absent for too long. So uh, just settling in and uh, looking forward to a, uh, a nice conversation with you gentlemen. Well, he's grabbed his calf and he's here for a great conversation. Bruce Gibson. Hello, thank you for having me. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had a sargarella <laughs> in my throat there for a second. Deceit! <laughs> hey, it's great to be here. This is great. I didn't even realize it was Brandon's first 602 Club. That's amazing. It is. I know, isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Well, I'm uh, guys, it's, it's going to be a fantastic show. Uh, before we dive into what will, I'm sure, be a riveting conversation for everybody as we dive into the brand new Star Wars movie by Gareth Edwards, Make sure you check out every show on Trek FM over at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. We are a featured provider. You can find all of our shows there. And while you're there, really would appreciate it uh, this holiday season if you would hit us up with some star ratings and reviews. Uh, those will help the show grow. And I really do appreciate everyone who spends the few minutes to be able to do that. It's wonderful. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com, so that's TrekFM. Of course, we've got our listeners-only discussion group that each one of these gentlemen is a part of. You can find that on Facebook. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook, or if you are on our website at Trek.fm, click Discussion on any of the menu bars. Write us an email at Trek.fm slash contact. Just choose a show. Choose the 602 Club, and that comes directly to us. And last but not least, voicemails. Go to SpeakPipe.com slash TrekFM. And leave us a voicemail about what you thought about Rogue One, and we might just play it on the show. So, gentlemen, last year was an interesting thing as we all experienced the first Star Wars film in a long time, continuing 
the episodes. So we got episode seven. And we all kind of approach that in different ways. And this being a new thing for Star Wars, we're, we're doing a film that doesn't have an episode number. It's just a story, a Star Wars story. And I wanted to ask how you guys were feeling going in and what did you do, if anything, to prepare? What about you, Brandon? So I went into this one very cautiously because the last few movies that I've gone to see for my fandom with Star Trek and with with uh, The Force Awakens, I've I've really actually been quite let down when I left them. Like I was not a fan of The Force Awakens at all. And I was not a fan of Star Trek Beyond. Um, they just didn't work for me. They didn't hit me right in the heart where they used to. And jumping in, so I was kind of cautious when I went to the movie theater to see this one. Uh, but I was still excited because the trailers that I'd seen had really piqued my interest and the special effects were looking really good. So I tried to stay away from spoilers. I tried to go in clean. And so that's kind of how I took the approach of going into the movie. What about you, uh, John? Because for you, I know you had a very different outlook for what you did for this film as opposed to last year. Yeah, uh, I decided to do a little science experiment. And instead of immersing myself in Star Wars in the lead up to things, I purposely uh, recused myself from the Star Wars universe for about a month or so beforehand. I muted everything I possibly could, including just any mentions of Star Wars at all on social media. Uh, I avoided uh, any trailers or promos like The Plague. I mean, I basically, I did effectively go on a blackout um, where I just didn't see or hear anything going into it. And I even chose not to read Catalyst, which was the tie-in book leading into it. And that was because I wanted to see if it affected my outlook or reception of the movie uh, the first time through. And I I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out whether it did have any sort of impact on my reaction to the film. Um, but yeah, that, that was how I prepped for it, was by not prepping for it. What about you, Bruce? Well, I was totally opposite from John in this case. And it all starts in uh, Anaheim at Celebration in 2015 when they brought Gareth Edwards out. Uh, they showed us a little teaser for Rogue One. Uh, it wasn't any footage from the film. It was just specifically made uh, as a teaser for the attendees there. And then, of course, then I went to Celebration in London where he saw the whole cast. And then since that point on, I've been following all the trailers, all the footage, all the news. I read Catalyst. I've done, and one reason is because i executive producer of the Star Wars Report, so I have to follow all these things so we can... Uh, discuss these things on the show so i knew a lot going in i even talked to people who were at some of the press screenings and uh, got some information from them so when i walked in i knew exactly for the most part what i was going to get and yes catalyst was a great read going into this movie it gave a lot of back information on krennic and galen urso and his family including jen so i thought that was really helpful too I'm a little bit in the middle. I didn't watch everything. I, in fact, um, there came a point after that second trailer came out, I didn't watch anything else. I, I tried not to. Uh, I, I, I even buzzed through, you know, uh, on our DVR, I would buzz through the commercials 
already, but I would make you know if it was a force if it was a Rogue One commercial, I was I was trying to skip it. I just didn't want to see stuff because I got to the point where okay, I I already want to see the movie. I just don't really want to know more. I did read Catalyst, but I don't think that that book did anything other than support the film. Uh, it didn't take away from the film, I don't think. I think it only just added to characters and motivations and things like that. Uh, it did exactly what tie-in books should do, which was enhance, I think, the the film. And so um, that's really the biggest thing I did. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell a funny story. John, you'll remember this. Remember when the trailer came out for Rogue One and I... Mm-hmm. I wrote you a text and I was like, I don't, I don't like it. Yeah, I do remember that. Yes. I don't like this. Um, and it was my first reaction to the very first trailer that they released. And part of it was that trailer just had this interesting feeling. I, I don't know. Something about it just didn't click right away. Like the first time I watched it. I don't know. Maybe I thought it was like going to be hunger games for star Wars kind of thing. I don't know. And, I watched it a few more times, and I started to fall in love with it. And then the moment that we learned that Forrest Whitaker's character was Saw Gerrera, everything changed for me personally. Because just just for me, it it meant that they were taking Star Wars very seriously in all of Star Wars. Not just, you know, the original trilogy, but they cared about uh, at least that's what it told me they cared about the clone wars and rebels and the prequel trilogy like everything was important to them and from that moment on i was a champion of the film in the sense of i wanted to see it i was super excited and everything in the second trailer came out i loved that so uh, that's that's how i came into this i was like i'm really excited was actually way more excited for this film than I was for The Force Awakens by the time the movie actually came out. Uh, just because of what I was seeing was hitting every single button just that I have for what I would hope that would be in a new Star Wars movie. So, uh, yeah, that's where I came in. Uh, what were your, just, um, and we'll dive into the movie, but what ended up being your first impressions after your first viewing? We'll start with you, John. Well, uh, my my first impressions were, and, and I actually I, I did uh, I talked about this with uh, another Trek FM host, uh, Mike Schindler. Uh, we were we were talking about it on on Great Shot Kid, and I was a little bit put off by the beginning of it. Um, I felt it was uh, choppy and uh, jumped around a bit too much, uh, but I I thought that once it settled in. I got invested in it and I enjoyed it. And then I thought that the big final battle at the end uh basically wiped away a lot any of any of the pa- any of the technical things I would have quipped about get wiped away by the final act, uh the big battle and everything because I thought that was just absolutely riveting and incredibly edited and paced and scored and everything about it you know down to the sound design and everything. And then Leading up to the very end, I, you know, I was with it and I, you know, there was one special part and I, you know, until you say we're doing spoilers on this, I'm not going to spoil anything. But then there was one part that actually made me laugh out loud in the theater like a psychopath, I guess, because I knew what was about to happen. And because I'd been on a complete 
blackout of information. It took me completely by surprise. And I, I just started laughing and I said, ha, huh, okay, I'm going to enjoy this. I know that. Um, and, you know, so I walked out of it and I was, uh, my opinion of it didn't settle in until I, I took my uh, kid to see it um, on Friday night because I saw it first on Thursday, then I saw it on Friday. And my opinion settled down and I do enjoy it a great deal. Brandon? As, so, as soon as I sat down and started watching this movie, again, I went in very, very kind of pessimistic because of the last couple of movies that just really didn't hit it out of the park for me. But watching this movie and going through it, everything was just making me excited. And as the film kept building, as, as it kept going along, um, I'm, I felt like these people truly cared, like you were saying earlier, that they truly cared about the history of Star Wars. And the look and the feel of this combined, you know, so much modern special effects with past special effects to give it such an interesting look. And it just kept getting me more and more excited as I watched this movie. And... There were I wasn't quite sure what to expect out of all of it again because I went in pretty pretty dark as well, but yeah, all I can say is that when I left the movie theater, I was excited. I was talking with my friends because we saw it on Thursday night with two friends of mine. I was talking. I'm like, oh, remember that scene? I love this part. This part was great. That part was awesome. And I have not left a movie excited since The Dark Knight. It's been a really long time since I've been absolutely blown away by a franchise that I love. Mr. Gibson. Well, I walked out uh, very pleased with the movie. I I walked out liking it a little better than I thought I would. Uh, again, I felt like I knew what I was going to get in this film, which it did meet those expectations, but I enjoyed it even more than I thought. So I, I really relate this a lot to my experience with The Force Awakens, which I love that movie. When I came out of The Force Awakens... I was kind of numb. I had to kind of process it. I knew I liked it, but I really had to think it through and I had to see it again. When I saw Rogue One, I came out and I didn't feel like I had to process it that much. I knew right away that I liked it. And I think what I figured out was the fact that this seemed, with, with The Force Awakens, they were playing it a little safe and they were trying to start a new chapter in the Star Wars universe. So I was trying to learn how to accept that. With this one, this felt like a love letter to A New Hope. And so it was so readily, readily easy for me to accept it and really enjoy it because there was just so many great little moments in there that were just a celebration of the Star Wars franchise and that first movie. So there was so much afterwards that I was talking with friends about. And, and what you guys are saying is just like, you know, going back and forth and saying like, you know, oh, I love this part. Oh, that was really cool and everything like that. So... I was very happy coming out. There is one thing that I will do my best not to do in this. I want to take this movie specifically by itself, so my goal is to not compare it to The Force Awakens. Coming out of this film, I knew I loved it. I just loved this movie. And it was because, for me, this is everything I want in a brand new Star Wars film. It just, it's just everything I want. The respect for everything that's come before with the infusement of something that feels fresh and new, but at the same time feeling familiar. Like, it, it's everything that Star Wars at its best has always been. It's the thing that made Empire Strikes Back so good. 
You know, it it felt like Star Wars, but it was it was moving it in another direction. You know, and uh, and then I I think for me the prequel trilogy did that too, and then I you know I feel like the the Clone Wars series did that, and so I just I'd really responded to that, and this was this was not something I had to think about or because there were moments legitimately and we'll talk about them in a little bit but that I was doing the same thing you were John there was like screaming like you know like laughing out loud with joy like oh I can't believe that just happened or I just saw this or you know and just all of that kind of stuff that happened throughout this movie for me uh led to just basically you know geek joy something I I, a thought that occurred to me after the first time I saw it and really stuck with me after the second time was uh, this thought that I think that in the fan base, especially the hardcore fan base, I, in, from my perspective, it's going to resonate very strongly because I would say that this is the movie in a lot of ways that people wanted or expected to see in 1999. Not, I'm not talking about seeing a war movie or, or anything like that, but something where there was such a strong connective tissue with what had been established before in terms of, you know, uh, not tenuous story points or allusions to things, but direct this thing that I just watched, I know exactly where this is going to tie into the next one. And so lining up in that fashion, do you think that that, you know, that sort of connection is what's helping it, you know, sort of resonate very strongly with a lot of fans? I would think so. Honestly, like that's one of the things that resonated the most with me is it really, really, really felt like a part of the original trilogy. You know, the 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 way that the ships were, right, that Star Destroyer and how white it was, right? Like that's something right from A New Hope. And going in and like, so the people that we see and the characters that we meet, you know, they all feel like they belong in that original trilogy. Yeah, it almost felt like a lost movie that we found in a vault somewhere from 1977, in a sense, because there's just so much connective tissue to A New Hope. And it really, it probably is more of what we were expecting back in the late 90s going into the prequels of having it really connect with the original trilogy and since the prequels are so much earlier in the timeline and took a different tone and a different way of playing out those films, it didn't quite resonate with traditional hardcore Star Wars fans and even casual fans probably at that moment. So this one actually really does. And I was talking before the show that I feel like from people I've talked to, those who are casual fans of Star Wars seem to like the force i'm keep going back to force awakens i'm sorry but <laughs> they, they like the force awakens better and then the hardcore fans star wars fans seem to like rogue one better that's what i'm finding out so far i think th- there's part of that john possibly i also think that this movie feels like a reward for if you've been a, a fan for a long time and you've enjoyed all of star wars this one feels like a reward because it it's the the linchpin that connects all the PT, all the Clone Wars, all of the Rebels episodes that you've watched to A New Hope. It brings, like, it puts everything together. You know, it really is the linchpin in the series where all that came before and all that goes after that all flow through this funnel. 
you know, and and I think it really does. It just feels like a reward for for fandom, and I think in a lot of ways I feel like Gareth Edwards seemed to approach it that way too. Uh, that that you should be rewarded for all those things that you've seen, you know, um, and and we're gonna try and make as much of it that that makes sense for our story fit together with what you know, uh, and we'll throw in some fun things too, like. Uh, okay, here's where the spoilers start. Uh, you know, we're going to throw in uh, Pondabata and, and Dr. Cornelius just for the hell of it because it's hilarious. Okay, but just to, you know, that that's sort of one of the things where uh, where I find it interesting. I I don't, you know, I, I'm not like passing judgment. And like, I, I think that I think that we're all trying our best not to uh, like draw any comparisons to like Force Awakens or anything. But at the same time, I think it's inescapable because it's only been 12 months. I think if this was like three years later, it'd be like we would, you know, wouldn't be as fresh in our minds, and because the, the, the experience would have faded for us. But I, you know, I found, and I'm again, I'm not, I'm not knocking them. I'm not, I, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But I thought there were just as many uh, callbacks in this as there were in Force Awakens. But I, I've experienced people, you know, including myself at first, who rejected those callbacks much more strongly than the callbacks in this um and i i find that interesting do you, i mean is that is that just because it was framed differently or because it was a different type of callback i like i i mean the thing is again I, i'm not i'm not saying like i disliked what they did i'm just saying like i'm trying to to figure out why one worked and one didn't i oh god i didn't want to do that I didn't want to do this, but I think you're right. Let's just, we'll just talk about it. Uh, compare the two. Like, uh, or or not compare, but like, what is it that maybe works for some people, for, for people in this one that didn't work for in The Force Awakens or vice versa? If, if there's anything, you you know, like, let, let's go there. I mean, I think that's a great discussion. See, I'm having trouble with that in my mind because when I watched The Force Awakens and I'm, and I th- again, I think we have to we have to compare them. When I watched The Force Awakens, the callbacks didn't feel right to me, and they do feel right in this movie. And for three days now, I've been trying to figure out what the difference is. Why does one work? Because, like, what, cut, jumping at the end, like the battle at the end feels like Return of the Jedi in this movie a lot, right? And you know, there's there's basically it feels like a New Hope in The Force Awakens because it's a Death Star, but not the Death Star. Right. And here it is, the actual Death Star coming in. And it, it kind of feels like Return of the Jedi as well. Why am I okay with one and not the other? I don't know. I've been struggling with that for three days. But I loved the callbacks in this. I loved the little things that you see. I loved the blue milk on the table from the moisture farm that the guy's running at the beginning. And the fact that his wife um, is wearing basically what Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen are wearing. You know, they're not on Tatooine, but she's even got basically the same outfit that they have. Well, Brandon, I think it's what you said earlier. This is this whole film is a callback. It's a callback to the original trilogy. It's in that time frame. So this is real. The original trilogy now is four movies in, in some senses. So the whole movie is a callback. So those callbacks within a movie in this time frame just seem to feel like they belong because we're in the right time when this when these events are occurring if you look at the force awakens which is 30 years later 
it's it's a little different. We're we're in a different time frame. We have different characters. There's different events. We don't. It it's 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 a new chapter. This is going back to the old chapters. So there's a retro feeling to that. And so the callbacks in a retro movie just seem to fit much better and feel more exciting to me. So now we can call this the original quadrilogy instead of the original trilogy. You, you just called it the OQ. <laughs> I mean, I, I I guess for me the thing that I that I get. You know, if if I were to say I get hung up on one of them, it, it is that Ponda Baba thing. Them being in Jeddah right before a New Hope when they're going to be on Tatooine. When and again, we're we're still we're still in spoiler territory, right? Oh, the okay. rest of this show is completely because I I guess they were just leaving Jeddah at the time because Jeddah gets wiped out, and so they're like they're there right before Jeddah gets wiped out, and they happen to go to Tatooine like it. That was the one that sort of spurred the whole question for me. It, it's it's just one of those things where that that was the one that jumped out. I and the thing is, I I'm not trying to comp- I'm just trying to compare the devices like like you said, Brandon. Not not just for me, but I'm trying to figure out why. And I think you guys have done a good job of like explaining it. Like it, it makes sense to me. The callbacks in this one are more for lack of a better term, more acceptable because it's taking place at that time as opposed to something that's set further in the future. And so maybe the callbacks don't feel as as genuine or they feel too grafted on for whatever reason it is sort of what. And, you know, if, if that's if that's why it's working for one and not the other, I, you know, I get that. I can understand that. I also think that George definitely mimics himself, mirrors himself in the PT trilogy with the original trilogy. But the films are structured different and they're they're mimicking different types of cinema as George loved to do. He would pull in a type of cinema and he would tell a Star Wars story in that type of cinema and make it feel Star Wars. So it felt fresh and familiar all at the same time. And I think... Gareth Edwards does exactly the same thing because he's pulling in the war film genre, specifically just the war film, and turning that into a Star Wars war film, even though it's been called Star Wars forever. And when he does something that feels familiar to Star Wars, it doesn't feel just like an outright copy because he's pulling it into the war film genre. Does that make sense? So, like, you're right, Brandon, the the end of this film is specifically because Gareth Edwards wanted it. He wanted that three-act structure of the fight where there's three different aspects happening, just like George would do specifically in Return of the Jedi, where there's three different battles happening and you're intercutting between them. That was on purpose. He, he I was reading the art of Rogue One today, and he, he wanted that to happen specifically. Uh, but I, I think it fe- it just feels different because the film itself is a war movie that also happens to be a Star Wars film. I think The Force Awakens was a Star Wars movie that was copying Star Wars things. And, and there wasn't another layer. Like, you know, uh, The Attack of the Clones is a noir film. The t- detective noir film and political thriller set in the Star Wars universe. You know, so you have a completely different style, and then when you pull some of those Star Wars things in, for some reason they feel fresher. 
Does that make does that make sense? I, I'm glad you're saying this because it, it's true because the uh, the Force Awakens again comparing, but the Force Awakens is looking at Star Wars. This movie is in the Star Wars universe. It's looking at Star Wars, but it's trying to be a war movie. It's not trying to just be a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I, I mean the thing is like like this this too easily turns into like a whole other debate at least from my perspective because like there's a whole like meta layer in the force awakens it's called the force awakens because things have lain dormant and blah 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 and all like and I, like that that wasn't my intention of like going down you know that road uh with the discussion but i mean like you know i i, I just um I, th- I think that there was a challenge both on a meta level and on an audience access level that you know i like I'll just get I'll get straight to it. Like Force Awakens, it, I could say to my in-laws, you know, they're going to go see it and they're going to plug into it and they're going to have a great time and they're going to think it's wonderful. And they did. And they thought, you know, they, they had so much fun watching it. And I was talking with my father-in-law uh, tonight who hasn't seen Rogue One yet. He said, hey, did you like the new Star Wars movie? I said, yeah, I, I really did. You know, it was, it was a good time. I, I had a good time. He goes, well, I like it. And I was like, I kind of froze and I because I've asked myself that question since the first time I saw it. If somebody's not steeped in Star Wars, are they going to plug into this movie as easily as they did to last year's movie? And so I think so. You do. Sorry. Oh, absolutely. Really? I think that you can totally come into this movie as a as completely fresh to the Star Wars universe because the 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 candy that's littered on the ground for the fans is it's just there. It's it's a glittery thing that catches your eye, and but there's there's so many characters that we we've never seen before. We don't know any of these people. These are all brand new characters. Everybody knows who Darth Vader is, right? But nobody knows who. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm really bad with names. Like the uh, I'm gonna do this a few times to you guys. I know you're more than names. The the girl's name, the Jen main character. So. Jin, Jin. Okay, so nobody knows who Jin is, and we get her entire story in this movie. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, I'm saying from a level like any of the previous seven, I think that somebody could come in cold, and they're going to pick it up, and they're just going to watch it, and they're gonna, and they're going to have a fine time with it. Whereas with this one, I don't, I don't think that somebody. This wouldn't be a movie that I would say to somebody, you can just watch this one and find out if you like Star Wars and come straight into it. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I don't. I don't, totally th- think, I don't think it would hook a, a cold audience. I, I'm. I don't. Kind of on your side on that, John. Um, I, I guess I relate it to being a kid when uh, Empire Strikes Back came out. I I felt like so many people loved A New Hope, and then when the Empire Strikes Back came out, I thought it was brilliant. But a lot of the people at school when I was in middle school were didn't like the Empire Strikes Back. Oh, it's darker. It's not as fun. And I'm like, it's. And to me, it was like it's it's more. It's over the top. It's more dramatic. It's yeah, it's darker, but that's what makes it better. I almost feel like that's the play here too. I think people like the general audience is like the more light and fun fun type of Star Wars movie. So if someone who isn't really into Star Wars or never seen Star Wars, I don't think I would start them with this one. But I would definitely recommend. I mean, my if my dad asks me if he should see it, I'm gonna tell him. But. uh I don't know. I, I don't know. I think I think most people I probably not gravitate this to that one. Yeah, I, I mean to be clear, I told my father in law that I think he, he should see it and I think that he'd have fun watching it. But I, I'm just thinking in terms of an introduction story. Like I don't know I you know, 
that that's that's sort of like the the question that spins in my head. Is this a first one to drop somebody into the middle of? It doesn't mean it's bad or it's good. I'm just like that. It's just sort of like a tangential thought that that occurs. to Well, me. and they might even if it's their first one, they love it. They might not like the rest. <laughs> you know, right. This might be so different that they're like, what the hell? Why is that Darth Vader guy so important? I think I totally think that this is cut from the same batter. This is a cake that's made from the same batter as a new hope. And if if you can come into the new hope, like without knowing anything else about Star Wars, I really think you can come into Rogue One without knowing anything about Star Wars and and get the exact same thing out of it. I personally think so. Uh, the, the thing that I personally feel, and this is just just for me, is that this is quintessential Star Wars filmmaking and 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 Star Wars filmmaking in the legacy of George Lucas, where especially after the the with the prequel trilogy and then with what he did in Clone Wars everything was meant to stretch what it meant to be Star Wars without breaking the Star Wars mold and George was always looking to do that sometimes it and specifically just taking like the Clone Wars sometimes it really works and then sometimes they found out that it didn't but that was okay it was it was an experiment the difference for me between this and the Force Awakens is that this is in that same experiment. We're going to push what it means to be Star Wars and see if we can still make it work. And I think it works absolutely brilliantly here. I, I just don't I I personally don't feel that with The Force Awakens because it's not a push. It's just a callback. And and for me, that's not as rewarding. I'm not saying I don't like The Force Awakens at all and it's total crap. That's not what I'm saying at all i enjoy that movie i enjoy the fun characters and that kind of stuff but it's more surfacey level whereas this was just it was everything that i appreciate most about when star wars is at its best so yeah great question though john i think it's definitely something you kind of have to ask because now we're getting a star wars movie every year (laughs) so you really can't do anything but kind of compare and contrast what works and what doesn't and why so uh, we've talked a, a few times and, and so let's just dive into to the new characters and, and start talking about these characters because there's a lot of them and I, I wanted to ask you guys specifically about Jen Urso and Felicity Jones because I think she has a really interesting storyline here where you know she's somebody who starts with a home and somebody who ends with a home, and the middle is about her finding that home again. And um, I, I just, I, I, she has a very interesting hero's journey, which most good Star Wars movies do. And I, I wanted to see how that played out for you guys, if it, if it works for you and for her character and for you know Felicity Jones playing her. Yeah, I, I thought that Generosa was a compelling. Uh strong character i i enjoyed watching her i thought she was performed well i thought she was written well um and i you know she she seemed to have a uh, a good amount of free will about her instead of you know she, we all know where this is going but the way she was written and played she still felt like she was a driver of her own story as opposed to a captive of it um which can be sometimes a criticism that is leveled toward the prequels, especially where it feels like everybody's just sort of chess pieces. And that's not a criticism I level, but I've heard people level that criticism. 
I would say that anybody who who has that concern, Jin is a successful character because she is, you know, uh, you know, master of her own destiny, and it feels like she drives the story as opposed to being driven by it. So I, I enjoyed her. I thought I thought she was well done. I think she's a great character as well. I think that maybe, you know, her attitude changes a little bit abruptly in the story. Um, in it, because I'm guessing that this movie's taking place in a pretty condensed period of time, right? Uh, but I do like her character growth and how her character changes. And it's like you say, she does take charge of her own storyline. She does become the leader. I just think it happens a little bit quickly in the story. That's the only criticism I would have about her her uh, storyline in it whatsoever. I personally think it's great to have a, a female protagonist. You know, I've got young daughters, and I don't, I've been seeing online that there's a lot of people who seem frustrated with this, who don't seem to like it, but I don't understand that, especially in this day and age. You know, I think she's a well-written character, except for the fact that her growth happens a little quickly. I mean, I'm the same with you guys. I really enjoy her character. I think Felicity Jones did a great job. Um, but I can say overall, and this is not just her character, but a lot of them, I didn't connect as much with the characters in this film as I have in other Star Wars films. In some ways, I think that's almost on purpose from the director's standpoint, because this is a one shot and this is really about the Alliance and the Rebels and it's not as much of a character story. I think they're trying to do that with Jin in some for the most part, but sometimes I feel like the character development was a little rushed and a little lacking at times with some of the characters, um, just in general with all of them. But with Jen, you know, I liked her. If, um, you know, if they were going to make it another movie with Jen Urso, I'd want to see it, but I did like her. I'd like to see them figure yeah. out how to make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a prequel oh. to Rogue One. <laughs> oh, there you go. Problem solved. You know, the, the thing that's so interesting about her is watching that progression from somebody who has spent most of her life trying not to care to becoming somebody who does care. And I did th- I think that was really interesting. And, and uh, I would agree with you, Brandon, except for the fact that th- I feel like they explain why she can make that turn to leader is because when she was with Saul Guerrera, she was his best already by the age of 16 when he abandoned well quote-unquote abandoned her he didn't really he did it on purpose because people were trying starting to find out who she was and he didn't want her being used as a as a pawn uh he was trying to protect her and so uh i think she's always had that leadership capability inside of her she's just in stifling it um and and she's been trying not to care about what's going on in the universe as as Saul Guerrero says to her, do you want to see the Imperial flag fly over every planet? And she's like, it's fine with me as long as you don't look up. You know, she she is trying to convince herself that she doesn't care, but it, she realizes that she does. And then all of that potential that she has been, you know, stamping down for all these years can come back roaring to the surface. So um, it is just a quick story. You're right, because it, it's just the, the nature of this type of story. But it's the same thing that happens with Rey. It's the same thing that happens with Luke Skywalker, Anakin Skywalker. I mean, they all have those latent abilities that then once they're able to 
use them. They they just come out. So I think that's a part of the hero's journey in the Star Wars storytelling that somebody has kind of a something there, and then once it's unlocked, it just goes, you know? Well, just to be clear, so it's not the fact that she became a leader. It's the fact that her attitude went from not caring to caring is is the is what I meant. Like uh, again, yeah, I, I got the line that he was her best, uh, or she was she was his best, uh, you know, leader that he was working with. It was just the fact because the one line, like I believed her when she said, "I didn't think she was trying to convince herself." As long as you don't look up, it doesn't matter. I believed her opinion on that. So I guess it changed. Like after spoilers, her dad died, right? So maybe that's what the catalyst was for her to start caring. <laughs> catalyst. <laughs> so, but uh, I, I that, that's that was what it, from her from her not caring to caring is what went too quickly for me. Uh, uh, well, I mean the thing is, I I I do agree that um, I mean I think overall that there are some bumpy parts for the development uh, of of the characters uh, through this. I think that probably a lot of that had to do with the the rewrites, reshoots, and re-edits that they did. Um, but I, you know, to speak to Matt's point, I think that the turning point is actually right after she says, it doesn't matter so long as you don't look up or whatever the line is. But then she sees the recording of her father who she hasn't seen in forever, specifically saying, I love you. I'm sorry. This is how you're going to blow it up. This is what's going to happen. So it actually happens that moment right afterward. She falls on her knees with tears in her eyes and it's like, you know, so for me, that's sort of like, yeah, it's a bit of a fast forward button, but it works for me. So uh, that's just. And what I, I felt like I felt like that was a moving scene too for yeah. Jin's character. I mean, it, the scene caught me in the feels. You know, I, I started feeling a little bit as she realizes that her father. You know, she she even says to to Mon Mothma when she's captured uh, by the the rebels, and they're asking her to go on this mission for her because they need her her introduction to Saul and and she says uh, I like to think he's dead when they ask about her father because it's easier for her to feel like oh he just he's dead I don't even have to think about the fact that he might be working for the Imperials uh, you know and 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 when she realizes what he has been doing that he sacrificed himself and, and everything that he is so that he can make sure that hopefully tyranny can end she realizes she's been wasting her life, you know, and I thought that was a pretty powerful moment, that whole, and it's the biggest question in this whole movie, and and it's mirrored in Jin of, what do you do in the face of such evil? Do you cut and run and just try and eke out an existence, or do you stand and fight? And that's what everybody has to ask in this movie, and Jin is part of that. And I thought, uh, you know, since everybody... Well, the rebellion and Jin both have to ask this question. I thought that is what made the arc work for me for her, and I thought Felicity Jones was just really good. I thought she was a phenomenal choice. She she has a rawness and a realness to her, and none of her lines I felt like felt delivered as if it was a script. It just kind of felt natural. And it didn't feel forced or refined. It just felt like a gruff girl who's been through hell for, you know, years on her own. So I really liked that, that she felt really unrefined as a character in that way, too. So, Well, I want to ask you guys, do you think uh, she was fighting for the rebellion 
or was she fighting for her father? The, I think the rebellion. I think she was fighting for the rebellion at the end. Uh, I think that it, I mean, if you're asking what the character's motivation was, I think that does get a little muddy. Um, but I do think that it ties in together where maybe she sees the rebellion as the way to avenge her father. So, you know, you could, I think you could make the argument for that. No, I, th- I agree with you, John. I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think she's looking for revenge on the thing, the monolithic thing that took away her father all those years and her mother. I mean, you know, we realize she lost both. Uh, and, but also, I think she believes her own speech to to the Alliance Council. So um, I think it's both. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that's a perfect time to jump into Cassian Andor because we see a character who, as he admits, I've been in this fight since I was six years old. You know, this is not something that I feel like I had a choice in. I have always chose to do something about, you know, uh, th- the evil I see around me uh, and what took everything away from me. And you, I, I thought it was interesting that in the end, he has the same motivations that she has. Apparently, he's had everything taken away from him, too. His parents, his family, you know, and, and this is what he has. This is home for him. The rebellion is home. And he's trying to make a new home for the rest of the galaxy. And his struggle, I thought, with Diego Luna played it brilliantly of doing things that you're not necessarily always proud of, but still feeling like it's the right thing to do to further this cause. Otherwise, it's all lost. You know, that's that's the one thing where, where I would say, because I, I made reference earlier to how like I, I thought that it, it started off kind of clunky um, and, and, you know, and bounced around. That was one of the things where like that scene with him at the, you know, the, the ring of Kafreen was uh, for me, it, it just, it felt like it was inserted with the express intent of showing that he had done you know, a horrible thing so that, you know, we can relate to what he talks about later. But I don't, I, like, I, I almost feel like I would have enjoyed his arc more if I hadn't seen that. If I'd had him, I, I trusted him enough, you know, a, as an actor. Like, he he made me believe in the character enough that I, I, I just, like, I, I wrestle with that scene because I think that seeing it so expressly sort of blunts his, his opportunity to explain himself later. Uh, you know, I, and it's just it, it's just that one scene that jumps out. But like, I thought that Diego Luna did a great job um, as as Cassian Andor. I, I really believed him. I bought him completely. I forgot that I was watching an actor. I just accepted him as a character. And I think, that, and you know, same same praise to Felicity Jones. Both of them, I just accepted as being who they were. So I, I thought that was that was good. I would agree with you, John, except for that that scene is also the one where that starts the whole downward. They get the ball rolling with finding out that it's this planet killer. And it, I mean, that's the whole key to the, you know, Bodie Rook story with the, the pilot. That's how they find out about all of that. That's how the rebellion learns about that. So without that scene, I'm not you, I'm not saying that it that a scene didn't need to happen maybe to make the story work overall, but I don't know that that scene in specific had to be the one to do it. I, I think that there was another solution out there for them. 
Oh yeah, I think it's weird that he he kills that guy, right? Like that's giving him the information, and then when like we we know that he's a part of the rebellion, and it just seems odd for me that a member of the rebellion would like just slaughter this guy in this dark alley, and like that was kind of a hard thing to get over for that character. That was the most shocking thing in this movie for me. I did not expect to see a character like this. Who's I'm going into this movie thinking you know he's going to be one of the heroes, and he's shooting this guy. You know, who's who's part of the audience. In the yeah, back. in the back. And my next thought was, well, if George Lucas gets hold of this movie, the special edition will have that guy shoot Cassian first. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> Zing. Oh, John, do you got you have some zingers? I'm for, gonna uh... be mailing them out to okay. our prize winner okay. for this show, man. <laughs> I um I'm gonna disagree. I really actually liked the scene. Just a for the reasons you didn't, John, because I, I, I thought it was kind of important to see that because it to me it connected with the fact later on that Mon Mothma and Bail Organa and it in the council really it, it seemed like they thought that there's a way in which they can still go to the Senate and they can fix this mess. That there there's a part of them that thinks it's not gonna take war, but it, you know Cassian's able to give that speech later. Look, we've been saboteurs. We've seen that in Rebels. Uh, you know, we've been assassins. We've been, uh, you know, in the military. We, we've done all of these things. And if we give up now, it'll have all been for nothing. And uh, I, I thought it just, I liked that we saw that, you know, it's not pretty. It's just not pretty. And that the rebellion is very desperate at this point. Like that, it's it's not going well for them. I thought that was a good way to show the the utter desperation of the rebellion. You know, um, they may be at their biggest point. It seems like with membership, but they're comp- continually on the run, and they haven't been able to find any kind of victory so far, really, against the Empire that's made a big difference. So I I just I don't know I just to me it worked but I get I do get what you're saying that is there another way to to make that character arc not necessarily have to have been so explicit so you just have to have the character and the actor sell it to you because I I get what you're saying because Diego was selling the rest of the story to you without necessarily having to have that happen right I I keep you know the the, the the gold standard in my brain that I always go back to is in the second season of Daredevil, the scene where Frank Castle sort of like pours out his heart to Matt Murdock about his past and everything that he's done. That was just an actor delivering lines the way you would see in a theater where it's like he just, they just said, you know what? We're not going to give you a cheat. You just have to sell us on that. And I think that Diego Luna did it. And then they hedged their bets and said, we want to put this scene in. That's right. You know, well, and I, th- I I think probably, and it's just that rule in film is show, don't tell. And I, I think that's probably where they went with, with this. And, and you're right. If the actor is good enough, they can do it. Uh, I, I think the frustration sometimes, in, and for most films, is they just tell you things, but the, the character and the actor aren't doing a good enough job to actually sell it. So it's like that, what do you do? And I completely agree with you. Diego Luna was so good in this movie, I felt like he did sell it. So you're absolutely right. They don't have to have that scene. Um, so, uh, yeah, I actually I actually agree with you on that. 
I actually just ended up liking the scene though because I liked the visual representation of the cost of the rebellion on on the characters and in just in general. So I have a question about that scene that I want to ask you. So based on what I saw in that movie, I, is there a story that explains why that one guy's arm is like broken or whatever in catalyst? Is that like, a Oh, part of catalyst? I'm sure we'll get a book on it, but it's not a catalyst. <laughs> it's so. not a catalyst. I figured that would be, I'm like, I, as I was watching the movie, I'm like, I bet you that's in catalyst. Why that guy has a broken arm. <laughs> we'll, we'll get a rebels episode so that they, there can, you uh, go. And that's how we'll figure out why the ghost was on Yavin Four. There actually are some interesting Catalyst references throughout the book. It, it, mainly they come from Krennic and Urso and Jin and Lyra. You, that's really where your your big involvement... That and the, the between Tarkin and Krennic, they're back and forth. The whole book is about that back and forth between those two jockeying for power in the Empire, and that's fan, fantastic in the book. So if you want more on that, go read Catalyst. You're going to love it. Um, and it, it really is a fantastic book. And just and after general. you read it, listen to the 602 Club episode. That's right, where Bruce was on that. So I want to shoehorn one thing in here before we go too far. So that planet that they were on, in that or that ring system that they were on, was so fantastic looking. Honestly, they could have ripped that right out of Blade Runner. It was so beautiful, that asteroid. And the way that they were joined together by that, like they were like held together. I don't know, it was so cool. Blade Runner totally made me think of Blade Runner. I completely agree with you. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. Uh, I thought that was a fantastic set piece and very, uh, it actually reminded me, Bruce, you might, and John, EU kind of place. Like you would have seen in the old Legends canon. It sounds like a place that they would have visited in one of those old Legends books. Yeah. We've talked a little bit, but Ben Mendelsohn is Orson Krennic. Uh, he's fantastic as uh, in, in The Dark Knight. I, I love. He's so swarmy and schemy and just like, ugh. He, he is, oh, he's, he's so perfect, I think, as this character. Uh, I agree. I, I love Ben Mendelsohn. I think he's a terrific actor. I enjoy what he brings to characters. And uh, to an extent, I wish I'd gotten more of him. I know that might sound strange because mm-hmm. he's so prevalent in the movie, but I wanted even more of him. Uh like just you love Catalyst, I uh, yeah, but I mean Ben Mendelsohn isn't in Catalyst. Ben Mendelsohn is in Rogue One. Well, now you can you just know. picture him. I mean, now you know, sure. you'll know exactly what he sounds like and everything. But the the th- I fell in love with him from the beginning because he was so magnificently conniving. You know, showing up and <laughs> yeah. like you know when uh, when Galen says you know it's like oh ever since she died, and he walks up and like. He immediately communicates just with the his the way he does everything. It's it's so hard to put your finger on, but he communicates how he knows Galen is lying to him, and he's like, "Oh, mm-hmm. I'm so I'm so sorry," you know, like like he's just sort of like rolling with it. He's like, "Okay, I'm I'm gonna play along." All right, yeah. I, I know and then when he's like when here. when she comes onto yeah. the scene, he's yes. like, "Oh, she's back from the dead miraculously." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's uh, I I do. I do like him. I Krennic was what I hoped he would be, uh, it, which was a Tarkin-like character where it was like, I know I'm only going to get him for one movie, or Grievous-like character, where I know I'm only going to get him for one movie, but I enjoyed my time with him. And uh, so, yeah, Krennic, I, I got a kick out of Krennic. I really liked him. I, you know, all the way to, you know, when the, the attack on the base happens, 
and there's dead silence as like things are blowing up and he just turns around and he just goes are we blind and everybody starts scrambling at that moment it's like uh i i bought him as who he needed to be i i really enjoyed him it's hard to add to that because you know you've summed it up so nicely but yeah he's he's very good in the role he does a very good job acting he he his reaction shots as well like when they come and tell him that somebody's accessed that uh you know they've accessed the stardust file and he like just turns and stuff like his facial reactions are wonderful the way that he's so slimy when he's like with vader and he's like so i'm still in charge and you know like his his tone and everything is beautiful i think the thing that makes him is that uniform that white uniform is so awesome well capes it's important to accessorize that's a direct connection to star wars rebels because the only other person we've ever seen in a uh, in a white uniform well, not the only, because I'll say um, Yularen in A New Hope is wearing the white uniform uh, seated at the table there at the Death Star. Uh, but the other one that I can think of that's big right now is Thrawn with the Grand Admiral uniform. So uh, I don't know who gets white and why, uh, but I love that he also is so ostentatious with his cape. Like, like he, he is so full of himself, he's got the cape. You know, like, uh, that's right, I'm I'm cool, so I have a cape. And we all know that because Lando has a cape and he's cool. So Krennic is yeah. trying to, you know, be as cool as Lando. <laughs> he's like he's like Styles on Star Trek Three with that cane. Yes, exactly. It, I, no, I think that's a great comparison is they're very much similar characters. And yet Krennic is somebody who has... And again, this is a great part about Catalyst is he's had this vision with the Death Star and he is so good at controlling people and like pulling people in to get them to do what he wants. He's just as driven as Tarkin, but he is less refined about it. You know, Tarkin is very good at getting what he wants, but it always seems like it's the other person's idea. You know, Krennic is much more showy and flashy. And I think he, you know, nobody does that better than Ben Mendelsohn. He's I just think wonderful. Krennic is a little brat. I think when he was a kid, he was just like yes. this little bratty kid. And <laughs> yes. it's like, it's my Death Star. Don't take it away from me. I did it. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And I don't know if this is correct, but I think Ben Mendelsohn actually asked to have a cape. I'm not positive about that, but I think I heard that. But, you know, when I was in... uh celebration in london they introduce the cast and they all come out on stage but then where's ben mendelson of course this music all of a sudden comes on and you're like what's going on and he has to come out in the full uniform make this grand entrance with the cape and he's just whipping that cape around as he turns and say i mean he is so into this character i think he would love to play this character the rest of his life well, one of the characters that i thought was really fascinating and it's because of there's so much I, this is the thing that George would do. He would like drop in something that all you wanted to do was know more about that thing, but the movie wasn't going to do that. And I felt like Donnie Yen's character, Chirrut Inwu, very much, you know, being this blind warrior monk who is a member of the Guardians of the Wills with this Kyber temple on Jeddah that has a connection with the Jedi somehow, I mean, and and not only that, but he says, and I've just been reading this biography of George Lucas called George Lucas A Life, and 
he's been going through the different drafts because I'm I'm at the point where George is creating the the first Star Wars film. And the original name of the force was the force of others. And Chirrut says that. May the force of others be with you. May the force of others be with you. And the fact that they mined George's original scripts to pull out ideas for the force and the wills and all of this stuff. I mean, everything about this character, I was like, I just need to know more. And it, I, I really loved him. So I, I wonder what you guys thought. This is my favorite character in Star Wars. All of Star Wars. I absolutely loved this character. Donnie Yen did such a wonderful job of portraying a blind individual. You know, the way that he like would turn his head like he was listening for something was just outstanding. And like the choreography of the fight sequence was such a joy to watch, you know, and there was humor with his character. You know, when they went to put the the mask on his head, he's like, are you kidding me? I'm blind, right? But uh, honestly, I like, I could not get enough of this character and we'll talk about him later, but his friend as well, like those two together were such a joy to watch. But uh, I think that this guy here, Chirrut Imwe, is that how you say it? Chirrut Imwe? I think this is my favorite character well, in Star Wars. I, I, right I'm now. amazed, Brandon. I hadn't thought of it that way. He's my favorite character in Rogue One, but I haven't thought, is he my favorite character of all Star Wars? And that's something I'm going to have to think about for a while. But he's definitely my favorite character. And I really want to see a Guardians of the Wills movie. Because I want to know more about this. I love the fact that uh, we're finding out more and new sides of the force and how it can be played and how people relate to it. So there's, there's so much there to explore, but yeah, um, Donnie Yen did a great job with his character and his abilities uh, when he was fighting. I just, I love this character through and through. I want a movie. I keep saying what movies on these characters that are dead, but <laughs> you, know, you can always go back to spoilers. <laughs> spoilers. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, you know, I, I, uh i i have i said this uh, about one character last year um and uh i think with chirrut i i feel the same way that this is a character that i feel like could have walked out of you know lucas's brain this character plays uh w- like the way lucas uh, originally envisioned obi-wan when he w- was trying to get tashira mifune to play him and he couldn't uh, you know, because of, you know, different various factors and everything, notably the studio, you know, pushing back about an unknown and wanting more name and, and stuff like that. But this character, it feels like an homage to that original envisionment of Obi-Wan. And so, you know, just on that level, uh, I, I enjoy him. I enjoyed him overall because I think that, um, that he was played with a, a tremendous charm, natural ease that made me like him and want to spend time with him. So that's all I have to add on that. It's funny that you say that because the, the other guy, Baze, is that, is that the guy with the gun? Yeah. Baze made me think of Mifune watching this movie. Totally. As I was watching him, I saw the reincarnation of Mifune watching him. Interesting. That's, that's really, really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the kind of character maybe that he played in, uh, in seven Samurai. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I can see your argument for it, sure. The thing about Chirrut and Bayes together, it, it was that kind of wonderful bromance, you know, the the the, the brothers, you know, the, the friends who were there for each other. And I love that Chirrut is the one who 
is a firm believer in everything still, and Baze is the friend that you have that kind of falls off the faith wagon, and you're still best friends, and he is completely against everything you believe in, but you're still able to support each other. And I, I thought that relationship was fantastic, and I really love those two characters together. And I liked that, again, every character in this movie dies that, that we, you know, follow in the story. But I loved his kind of arc of coming back to some faith in the end. You know, he watches his friend die, and he he dies in the same way, you know, def- trying to de- defeat the Empire, but he finds his faith again. And I, I just... I. At least that, that's the way I read it, is that he finds his faith and he, again. And, and he expressed I just, that I liked at that. Celebration by giving that spoiler away. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> the the gif of uh, Alan Tudyk, uh, his reaction uh, when that was given away is pretty fantastic. Well, uh, yeah. uh, let's, let's talk about little K2SO, or not so little K2SO. What did you guys think? Because I do know that in my theater, almost every line that he said, the theater laughed. I thought he was perfect. Like I thought he was a perfect droid. You know, he was he was an embodiment and a callback to C three PO and R two D two together, kind of right. But he, he actually he felt... says the things that I think R two says, but we don't understand that R two's saying. Probably with less for fanity, but you know, a little bit. It's beefed out, but um, it was neat watching him. Like he was so well done. You know, like the the CGI that they did for this character was just outstanding. But the the way he was he was almost like another human actor in it because of some of the motions that he did when he's like, "Do you want to know the odds of us her turning against us? It's high, it's really high." Like when he puts his hands up and stuff, like just the detail that they put into this character was outstanding, and it really really added to him for sure. Well, it was Alan Tudyk that actually was on the set. So all those movements and a lot of those lines, some of them were improvised. So they kind of gave him his freedom to do what he wanted to do. Okay. So he really created the character. So hats off to him. If if you like this character. So kind of like Gollum? Huh? So kind of like Gollum? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're, yeah. Okay. So like we're, he's on. The yeah. Set. He yeah, was, okay. he had the gear on, you know, a new suit that they're using now, but he was definitely on the set. He was actually on stilts too, to make himself higher because the characters, okay. uh, a tall robot but yeah so if you like this character it's because of alan nice see I, d- I don't know any of the behind the scenes stuff so i really stayed away from all of that yeah no he he yeah k2so is a lot of fun you know he's he's the he's the comedy character of this one and i think that uh you know i, you know, I laughed at most of his lines and I, I thought he was really fun to watch he was you know and they even gave him a uh inappropriately spoilers no, uh, you know noble death which I thought was cool. K2SO's Noble End. That could have been on the soundtrack. Yeah, right. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that he's my favorite droid since R2-D2. I just, I feel like you're absolutely right, Brandon, that he feels absolutely real. I never think to myself, oh, he's just a CGI character because he feels so tactile that he is right there. And I'm sure part of that is that Alan was on the set, and that really helps. But the the CGI work is phenomenal on him. And I, I felt like he was just, he's C-3PO, but not annoying. You know, C-3PO gets on my nerves a lot of the times with his lines. because It's too fussy. Uh, but 
K2SO just he he's he's could be my favorite droid. I don't know. I'm gonna have to think about it. But I just I loved him, and I also what I loved about him is that he felt different and new, like he was an extension of other characters and other droids we've seen. But he didn't just kind of feel like a copy at all. He 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 was his own thing, and I really liked them allowing you know Alan to create this character when he when he grabs that grenade out of the air he's like you two are making a lot of noise for some people who want to fit in and he just throws it behind him and blows up all the stormtroopers i mean that stuff was gold it was it was great uh the timing so, was really well done on his jokes yes i i really en- enjoyed that so I, I thought he was wonderful um want to ask you too uh, so the last uh, of this you know dirty dozen but they're not really a dozen so uh Bodhi rook is the former imperial pilot who defects and, and joins this group what did you end up thinking about him and, and the storyline we get with riz ahmed playing the character and all stole the show for me i'm glad really? I'm, I'm glad we're talking about him of all of the characters that i watched you guys are going on about k2so and i love cheer it but if i were to pick a favorite character from this film uh it is him I, I loved him from beginning to finish. I thought he was played perfectly. I thought that he was completely and utterly convincing. Uh, you know, this doesn't take away from Diego Luna or anybody else's work. I just thought that this guy, I my sincere hope is I enjoyed his performance so much. I hope that this is a huge breakout role for him. I want to see him in tons more stuff. I thought he was fantastic. He was an interesting character because we don't get a character like him in a lot of movies that's like, not it's not like he's uncertain with himself, but he like you know he kind of stutters and he's like nervous and and he did a very good job of the role for sure. But it, it was kind of nice to see a character like that where you know when it, they took off his mask and uh, and Saw was there and he's like oh uh, that's for you and you know he, they're like oh they didn't capture me I surrendered they didn't capture me I surrendered and, and it was it was neat it was a good performance I agree with you. I'm glad we're going through each one of these characters because I said earlier that I. I didn't feel like I really connected with a lot of the characters, but as we're talking through, I'm finding myself that maybe I connected with them more than I thought, because I do love this character. I thought it was a great performance. I thought they all did great performances and there's not a single character in here that I don't like. Um, It's so now I want to go see it again right now. Cause I'm, I'm like, really, as we're talking through this, I'm really loving these characters more and more. And, you know, Bodhi Rook is definitely one of them. It's interesting, John, that you said that he's your favorite. I, I hadn't heard anybody say that, but I agree with everyone here. I think he's fantastic. I think he plays the role very convincingly. I think he has the hardest job because he doesn't have as much to do as everybody else. And he has to sell his storyline a lot quicker than everybody else. But I, 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 I buy it. I think he's great. And, and I agree with you, John. I think he's a good actor that I would like to see him in more things. And in this role, he, he nails it. And I, I, feel, I feel what you're saying, Brandon, specifically, the nervousness that he brings to the role that, you know, he's not a character that's overly sure about himself or was ever thought of himself as a hero. You know, that's... But he is the one who is just overcoming and doing what he feels is right and what he knows is right. And I liked that. I thought it was really good. So I, I, I'm, 
I'm right there with you. I don't. As we talk through the characters, there's not any one of them that I'm like, eh, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. It was like, no. Um, and, and coming to Mads Mikkelsen, this is the character, Galen, that I wish we had gotten more of, if there was a way to, because I, he's so good. He's, he's phenomenal. I, I think he, he nails the role as, as her father, Jen's father, and, uh, you know, the reluctant hero of, putting his life on the line to try and make sure that, you know, the empire doesn't reign forever. I, I really like Mads Mikkelsen in this movie. I wonder how Jen would have felt as her father grew older, if she would have looked in his refrigerator and seen people, body parts in there. (laughs) (laughs) I have a really tough time separating Mads Mikkelsen from Hannibal now. Like when I first started watching Hannibal, like I'm like, oh hey, it's the guy from Casino Royale, and now that I, whenever I see Matt Mickelson, I'm like, hey, no, it's I got Hannibal. your reference there, but I was looking at Matt's yeah. reaction, like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, as another fanable, I will say that Mickelson did a, an admirable job of providing appropriate distance from that character in his performance. Uh, so I well, thank you know, God. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, but I mean, um, he. I, you know, I'm so used to seeing Mads Mikkelsen play just like a straight up bad dude, whether it's Casino Royale or Hannibal or whatever. And it was kind of refreshing to see him, you know, have a take on somebody who, you know, has normal human emotions. And, uh, you know, he, he did a fine job. Yeah, I, I like the fact that he's a scientist, but he's not some whimpering scientist some scrawny guy that he's he's got a build to him you know he he has a command of himself uh so he comes across to me as that he would be maybe some authoritative genius if he was in the right setting and and was just let to go loose i mean he could actually be a leader is the sense i get from him a leader of people and a leader of a science community uh so just him, the actor himself, given that portrayal, gave me that kind of feeling of the character. What you said there, John, is exactly what my wife said. She's like, it's, you see him as a bad guy all the time. It's refreshing to see him portray a good guy. Well, somebody, a good guy who makes some, you know, I mean, he still did help build the thing. You know, let's, <laughs> let's remember that. Well, and I felt like he, he the scene that... That totally sold me were was the scene that we'd seen in the trailer where he's hugging his daughter and he's like, you know, if whatever I do, I do it to protect you. And then coupled that with the hologram, those two things just really got me with the character. And again, it was a it was a moment where seeing his performance, I could then replay what happened in the book Catalyst, and I was even more enjoying the progression of the character Uh, because this is just where again I think the book did a a fantastic job of supporting the film and helping me know his his arc so that it came full circle Uh, whereas I wanted more of him but I also knew why you know this movie you can't have more of everyone uh, there's just there's no way. So I, I feel like it's economical storytelling. They did a great job with giving you just enough. I think the movie could have a more exposition than it needs, 
but I think it handles it well enough to where I'm actually glad that it has the exposition that it does. Um, because again, it kind of go back to another conversation we had earlier about the force awakens. If there's anything I knock that movie for, it's not having enough exposition. I feel like they corrected themselves well in this film. So I'm, I'm glad they did, which just brings us back to one last main character that we get. And that's Forrest Whitaker playing Saul Guerrero, uh, the veteran of the clone wars. And uh, what did you guys end up thinking about him and uh, his performance and kind of his Vader-esque appearance and, and, and get up and, and just general almost craziness? See, I don't know this character because I don't watch the Clone Wars and I haven't watched Rebels. Uh, so like this is my first exposure to this character, right? Um, so I don't know how he compares or contrasts to any previous performance of the character. But uh, I'm glad that you mentioned it because I was going to mention it too. It's like this guy is like a Vader. You know, he's more machine than man and he's breathing. And they even use the same hissing effect, right? But uh, watching him, I wonder how he got to this point, you know. And again, I'm only exposed to what I see in the movie. And I'm wondering, I totally thought that he was at some point exposed to that boogly thing. I like the fact that you said, you know, I'm wondering how he got to this point. Um, We do see... Uh, a little bit of him in the Clone Wars, but he's not like some major character that we've seen in many episodes. But I like the fact that we don't know how did he get to this point and why is he breathing in this mask and and what had happened to him? Because that's the beauty of, I think, Star Wars is, is you create question marks and you wonder and you create the history in the back of your mind of how these characters ended up as they are. And, and and I like the mystery behind the character. I'm sure we're going to find the answer someday, but sometimes I wish they weren't answered. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. That's sort of the, the thing I've always wrestled with, with the, the tie-in books and everything, is it's like some of the stuff I just don't need to know. But uh, with with this character, the, the difficulty I will always have is how much of him from the previews didn't make it to the final cut, including a line that I adored. And I was like, oh, okay, oh, that's not in there. Okay. Like, it's it's one of those things where I just will always be fascinated by how much they had but reshot or didn't show. Um, and that, you know, I, I'm not saying that takes away or gives anything to his character in the film. It's just that I'll always wonder that. Um you know, but in terms of playing, you know, like a quirky, interesting character, I thought that Whitaker made some great choices with his voice and with his uh, mannerisms. Uh, I, I, I felt like the character got a little bit of short shrift in terms of screen time. I would have liked to see him breathe a little bit more or maybe had a little bit more dialogue because the scene that he was actually in with Jin before the hologram plays, I, plays like a, it's a great scene. And I would have liked to just see a little bit more of him. You just want to see him breathe more? Yes. Just do nothing. I want four minutes of him just breathing. <laughs> what I what I love about the fact that it it is Saul Guerrero in the movie is this idea. You know, uh, Star Wars, George always said that Star Wars for him was like a real historical event that they just you know, took place in, in in the galaxy and they filmed it. And it's something that Gareth definitely wanted to bring to the film. And when they were writing the story and they had this character, 
they the story group said, well, why don't we use Saul Guerrero? And one of the reasons is is that Saul Guerrero was a big part of the Star Wars underground storyline that George was creating for the live action series. And still sitting on the shelf, and I don't know if we'll ever get to see it, but they pulled this character out and used him for Clone Wars uh, as a kind of setup for that. And then, you know, they, they're, they've never done anything else with that live action series, so they put him in here. And I, I felt like the character made so much sense then. Uh, he was already kind of an, a little bit more extreme in the Clone Wars episodes he was in. Uh, and to see that he's become kind of a problem for the rebellion because he's so much of an extremist that he's not, you could get the sense that he's not necessarily worried about civilian casualties or anything like that. He's so focused on fighting the Empire. And for over 20 years of war for himself, he, his body is broken down too. And, you know, he's, he's fought for the cause and it's taken everything out of him. I, I thought it was brilliant. And it all works together. And exactly what you said, Brandon, where you're like, I don't know his history, but he's interesting. I pray that by connecting the dots, people will want to go back to the Clone Wars and see it and then want to experience the rest of it because that series is phenomenal. And I love the fact that they didn't just create a new character. They already had a character and they said, well, let's just use him. Uh, you know, they don't tell you all of his backstory in this movie or anything like that, but they made a point to, to, to show, I think that the Clone Wars are important. They happened. They're part of that history that George filmed and therefore it matters. And I love the fact that Saw Gerrera was in the movie. And I thought Forrest Whitaker did a great job of playing a man who is, on the edge of sanity because of everything he's been through. Uh, I, I loved it. And I think it makes for an interesting thing because, you know, Mon Mothma, Bale, and the Rebellion, they're still hoping that they can work through the Senate. This is where I thought was interesting. They, we got some politics back in Star Wars, and they're still hoping that they can they can go to the Senate and say, hey, they're creating this Death Star that they don't know about. We need to stop this. And, you know... Saul's on the other side being like, no, it's all lies. The Empire's everywhere. And I thought that juxtaposition between that was was pretty fantastic. Seeing Bail Organa for me in this was the oh yeah moment for me. And it was like, yeah, they are really, really pulling everything together. So uh, um, yeah, I, I really liked seeing him in it. So I got I to gotta say that first and foremost. Um, I, I liked that they continued on with a little bit of the politics that happened in the prequel trilogy. Um, but it was, it was interesting to see it as from one to the other. They're kind of going from the politics to the rebellion. It, this, this really does a great connection between the prequels, the Clone Wars, Rebels, and the original trilogy, pulling it all together. It, it really does. And so having Bail Organa there... And even referencing his Jedi friend, uh, I I really who could that what's be? What's that? <laughs> who I, could that I, yeah, be? I'm still trying to figure that one out. Maybe they'll make a movie. Um, <laughs> but and I would I really wish we could have had more Bail Organa. Uh, we've we've always gotten sprinkles of him in these movies, and uh, 
I'd like to see him take more of a lead role in something. Uh, there I go again. I want another movie. See, all these characters can just spin off into their own movies. I'd be very happy about that. Well, what's what's interesting about that is that I think that um, one of the things that this movie does function like is as a serial itself um, in that it's it ends in such a way that it, it is, you know, okay, let's pop in. The original oh, Star come back Wars next now. week because the rebellion will they survive? It basically. Did you do that, John? That, that, did, you, did you pop in a New Hope after you saw the movie? No, I didn't. But it's obviously constructed as such. I, dude, I got home too late at night. I was like, I I went to bed. I did too, but I um, still had to do it. <laughs> uh, no, it, you know, it, it it is interesting to me because, and Bruce, you saying, you know, I want a movie about this character, a movie about that character. Like, I almost wish they would uh, embrace this idea of having, you know, like a Netflix series or a Disney series, whatever, you know, whatever platform you want to put it on. That would just be these characters, like a little hour and a half, two hour movie just about these characters. But it's just on the streaming platform and do it serialized. And I think that would be really, really interesting instead of releasing it in theaters and having it be, you know, an anthology series just about these different characters through time. That would be that would be pretty interesting. Well, I do feel like. With Mon Mothma, Bale, and and just the rebellion in general, that's I'm I am crossing my fingers that that's what this stinking Star Wars Rebels show is going to start doing. Because now that they have all of the pieces on the board, they can go play with them and build up to that. And and that's exactly what I, you know, when you call a show Star Wars Rebels. Well, well I mean, I Saw Guerrero's in the new promos for Star Wars Rebels. So that's right. So I mean, they they're already starting to do that. So I think that's fin- fantastic. Um, you know, I what I loved about these characters in here was the way in which we saw them realize that there is no hope in the political system anymore because everything's gamed. Palpatine's got everything under control. And the only answer is civil war. And uh, I thought that that was really nice to see them have to finally kind of give up that one last, the last breath of the old Republic dies because the very next movie, obviously, the Senate is disbanded. And why? Because, well, Krennic said it, because the Senate becomes obsolete with the Death Star. Because if you don't, we don't like you, we'll just blow up your freaking planet. And uh, I thought it was really nice that Mon Mothma and Bill Organa realized that quickly enough in this movie that that's not an option anymore. The only option is war. Uh, and I like that the movie forces their hand because, well, our our rogue characters have some rogue hope and, and they go and and they go rogue. <laughs> Uh, and and they force the hand of the rebellion, but thankfully they do because it gives the rebellion their first victory against the evil empire, and and leads into what we know as a new hope. And I think that's that's beautiful. I, the, they structured this movie, I think, fantastically to do that. And um, some surprises. We already knew that Vader was going to be in the movie a little bit. So Vader and Tarkin and Leia. Oh my! I mean. I, let's just, we'll, we'll start with Vader. Um, and, and can I just say how cool it is that we finally got Vader's castle? Like I was so, I, I that's the moment I wanted to stand up and cheer in the I, theater. I was like, 
Vader's castle. I agree that Vader's castle is great. Uh, the one thing that made that scene jump out at me that both times I've seen it is uh, the the fact that the convention of popping up the planet name when they go there was broken with Mustafar, and that's all that's going to permanently live under my skin. Like they did Edu, and they did Ring of Kafreen, and they did uh, Jeddah, and they did all of these things. But when they went to Mustafar, they didn't put the name up. And I was like, guys, come yeah, on. Why didn't they consistent. do that? I don't understand that. Yeah. Like that. That, that Did was, they just expect everybody to know it was Mustafar? I, I guess. But I mean, like, seriously, it's like going to occupy a whole section of my brain for quite some time because I'm like, why wouldn't you? But the, uh, you know. It'll be fixed on the Blu-ray. Yeah. Well. I hope so, we'll actually. <laughs> Rogue One, a special edition. Yeah. Extended edition. But the there you uh, go. the yeah, I thought the scene, you know, seeing him in uh, you know, at Mustafar was great. I you know, I love the fact that they they brought that back because I mean, with Return of the Jedi, they'd gone so far as to build the miniature, you know, of the castle on the lava. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, in some way, it came back. That's cool. Well, I just thought the the brilliance of having it that he chose that the only place apparently he feels comfortable is back on the planet where his life ended, you know, and, and a new life began for him. And, and that as he's, you know, he's in the back to tank refreshing himself, right? Cause I can't imagine being in that suits good for you for that long, you know, and his acolytes around him, you know, uh, that, that help take care of his castle. The fact that his castle actually looks a little bit like the Kyber temple on Jeddah. They have very similar structural looks to them. Uh, you know, the whole thing, it just, the fact that he even seems to be on the same lava flow where he got cut down so that, and he looks out the window, he's almost, well, he probably literally is looking at where Obi-Wan cut him down. I mean, just the whole thing, the brilliance of it, the, the way that it, it must fuel his anger and his rage in the dark side to be there. I just, I loved it. Uh, and the way that he deals with Krennic, too, <laughs> choking him, and let's not choke on our aspirations, shall we? It just was pure joy of, of seeing Vader as the utter badass that, you know, we always expected him to be when we saw him in a new hope i just i loved it his his every appearance that he had was perfect uh down to him just mowing down people on the way to yeah the that, TV that's four. the part in the theater that i was talking about where i started laughing out loud because i was like oh cool yeah great this is and uh, you know hats off to the guy playing the guy banging on the door like oh open yes. the door please god you know, so that you know that that was a great bit. The you know the, the the whole Vader thing also makes me think of another shot in the trailers where he's standing in front of a screen with you know red display and everything, and I'm like, well, what happened there? You know, like I I I I can't escape that. Like, was there just an alternate path for Vader, and they changed it so that we got him, you know, boarding the Murder Express and killing everybody? Or is it that that was cut? Like, I, that's always going to be sitting there in my brain. But I was very happy with the, uh, you know, the wanton slaughter of all of these poor souls because I'm a disturbed individual and it was fun to watch. Well, and it just seems so Vader. I mean, like, he, he doesn't care. 
and he's on a mission. Like he's on a for him and his from his point of view, he's on a very important mission. <laughs> well, what's uh, what's interesting is to me seeing Vader use his saber to cut people down like that is much more in the vein of uh, like the the expression of Vader that came up in Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Because like with Empire and Forward, you know, yeah, we see him choke somebody in Star Wars and, you know, he kills Ben and everything. But like his shtick became, I'm going to choke everybody that I dislike. Choke, choke, choke. choke. Everybody gets a choke. Whereas in Splinter of the Mind's Eye, he like cuts the Imperial officer in half when he's displeased with him. And it's a much more um, hands-on Vader uh, then I think we're we're used to seeing on screen. So I th- I thought that was really fun to see, you know, as a callback in and of itself of like you know the original envisionment of Vader and how he would operate. Well, this Vader reminds me of Episode Three, where he goes and just cuts and mows down all the Separatist leaders. I mean, this is exactly that Vader. Uh, it reminds me of the Vader that we see in Lords of the Sith, the book where he just is wantonly mowing down whoever he needs to. Uh, he goes from one side of a Star Destroyer to the other that's being taken over by rebels and just annihilates everybody. And it's one of the coolest scenes I've ever... I mean, so this is the Vader, I think, that we pictured in our minds of what he was like when he just was let off the chain, like Vader off the chain. <laughs> and and you did not want Vader off the chain. You know, I this is people in the galaxy didn't really know who vader was unless you came face to face with him and then you were dead so this i i think gareth edwards just to me he gets it so completely of what star wars is and and who these characters are and and i loved the fact that this vader feels like a combination of everything we had in our minds plus everything we saw at the very end of the prequels it's it's wonderful uh, and even what we saw in Rebels, John, when, remember, he, when he goes after uh, Ezra and Kanan, I mean, he is just vicious. It, yeah. It's wonderful. You said something there, John, that made me think of something. So you're like Vader, his shtick became to choke people. Choke, choke, choke. I wonder if on uh, Darth Vader's Facebook page, instead of poke, he's got the choke option. <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> Vader's choked you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody's terrified to go on social media. <laughs> Around Mustafar, he wears a shirt that says, I give throat hugs. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> That's why he's not on Twitter. He can't choke. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's his Twitter handle, throat hugs. Yeah. <laughs> that scene that you're talking about, though, John, at the end when he when, when it was dark and you're like, you knew exactly what they're going to light this up with the sword, with the lightsaber. Yeah. They're going to light it up with the light. Yes, they lit it up. Yes. And when he like throws that guy to the roof. Yep. And oh, man. It was like I had a complete and total nerdgasm when that happened. I'm like, yes, this is. I think epic. the whole theater did, you know. I mean, because like people were kind of cheering when it started happening, which is weird because they're all cheering because people are dying. <laughs> right. But yeah. it's, you know, it's it's Vader. You know, you just do well, it's that. great because uh, he's not the main okay. villain of the movie yet. He he gets to put the final stamp at the end of it, which was perfect. And yeah. and we have to you know give kudos James Earl Jones. Man, he's back forty years later, still doing Vader. And he sounded perfect. I mean, it, it, he sound well. Let me say this: he sounds like Vader from Episode Six. Uh, he sounds more like the Return of the Jedi Vader, but that's fine. He, I mean, it doesn't. He still sounds enough like. Yeah, himself. I, I always, I always sort of chalk it up where I'm like, well, the acoustics are different. That's why he yeah, sounds a little bit there different. That's fine. Um, yeah, you know, I, I there's um, 
you know it's interesting though because the the vader thing for me comes back to you know because because we said you know Tarkin and vader and leia oh my because of course that leads right into leia and i i embraced the tarkin thing from the beginning as soon as i saw it i said you know what these guys they're going for broke and i applaud that i i favor boldness in movie making choices 100 percent of the time totally cool with it loved it but for some reason i thought that leia was going too far i thought they should have i thought they should have kept her cloak and not shown the face i don't know why but it was one of those things where tarkin because tarkin was a fully realized character through it and i totally just said okay i'm gonna go along with this and i'm just gonna play along and i'm good and i'm not gonna I'm not going to look at like any anything that's going to be like, oh, well, that's, you know, see, I know the guy's dead and I know the trickery that they've used. And if I notice anything that's, you know, amiss, all I did in my head was say, I loved what they did in Tron Legacy because they went for broke and look at how far they've come. In a sense, it's almost scary what they can do now with uh, CG effects like I. You know, imagine what they're going to be able to do in another 10 years. It's going to be insane. Like, down to the fact, like, I was paying attention with Tarkin to what they did with his teeth. His teeth, so many times the downfall of a digital character is the mouth movement, which they got really good. And I think that they were lucky because Peter Cushing had a very, uh, I, I don't know how any other way to say it, but like sort of like a traditional sort of stodgy British mouth movement. Like that, I can't, I, you know, he, he delivered his, his lips were very stiff, um, but his teeth, if you pay attention, attention to his teeth in this, they're imperfect as a regular humans are. And so many times they screw up teeth on digital characters where they're always exactly the same shape, smoothness and whiteness. And instead there were like, there looked like little stains on some of his bottom teeth and stuff. And I was like, and they were a little bit uneven. I was like, that was attention to detail that I respected. But then when it got to Leia and you actually saw her face, for some reason it pulled me completely out of the movie. And I, I think it's because with Cushing, like they, they used lighting. I think they just, they, the lighting they choose was, chose was like too bright for Leia for me to completely buy it. Whereas they had the wisdom, I think, to keep Tarkin. They did a lot of cuts and they, they kept the lighting in all of the scenes he was in dark enough that if there were any sort of like visual incongruities, I didn't pay as much attention to them. Whereas I thought Leia was too bright and too much center frame for me to really uh, go in for it. I don't know if that makes no, sense. No, it makes sense to me because I feel somewhat the same way. Leia didn't work for me as well. I was not surprised that we would see Leia. I didn't. I thought, again, like you were saying, I thought she'd be cloaked. We would maybe see her at a distance if we if we saw anything of her. But... I was actually pleased to see that they they took they had the guts to go ahead and just show her face, but it didn't work for me quite as well. And I don't know if it's like you're saying she's center framed. It was a close up. Maybe if the camera was pulled back and she was a little more distance, but it wasn't bad. It right. wasn't bad. Tarkin really worked for me, and I could tell some of it was CGI. Of course, I know Peter Cushing is dead, and and so it wasn't a hundred percent perfect but it was close to it but the thing that sold me was after the movie i heard a guy walk up to a friend of his they weren't sitting together and they start talking and the one guy says now 
that's the same actor who was in the first movie, right? So he's in this one. And the guy said, that's not him. That's He's dead. He goes, but he was just in the movie. He goes, that's CGI. He goes, that was CGI? That guy had no idea. And today I had lunch with Shaz Bazaar of the Techno Retro Dads podcast, and he heard a similar comment from somebody else. So people who don't know Peter Cushing's dead actually think that's a real actor. I like I I liked Leia. I loved Leia. It, the the smile on my daughter's face this morning when she saw Princess Leia at the end of the movie was just amazing. Like it was, she was so thrilled to see Princess Leia. Uh, I, Princess Leia worked for me. I'm glad that they didn't leave it because you you're used to them showing just the back of a character or something like that. And and again, they went for broken it. What confused me with this movie is with how much they did with Tarkin, and the fact that they went all out with Leia. I was confused. Why didn't they do that with Mon Mothma? And I don't know the character's name, but the 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 white suited, white bearded man uh, of the rebellion as well, because his General character Dodonna. was in A New Hope as well. Well, I, sorry, General Dodonna. I, I why didn't they CG those characters as well? For for me, I sort of looked at Dodonna, and I I. I, I won't lie mentally. I'm like, that's not really Dodonna. Like, that's a Dodonna's assistant or something like that. Like, I I get what you're saying. We're like that incongruity of having different actors. Um, but at the same time, I I thought that um, I thought that Mon Mothma looks close enough that, and there are years between A New Hope and Return of the Jedi. I'm more okay with it as opposed to the fact that we're going to get Dodonna immediately after this in A New Hope. Um, so that's why sort of mentally I'm like, that's not really to Donna. I, I'm pretty sure that it just comes down to money and time because I can't imagine that it is a quick process to do what they did with Tarkin. I'm pretty sure that ILM was working night and day for, you know, six months or more to make Tarkin looks like he does. I'm pretty sure that they didn't spend as much time on Leia because she's on screen for what? 20 seconds. So, and I, I think that's the other thing. Tarkin's on screen enough so that you get used to him. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, you, you become accustomed to him. And, and in the back of your mind, you can throw away the fact that, yes, he's, he's dead. And make it, and again, it's just make-believe that he's alive still. And the same thing doesn't happen with Leia because you're, you're just not there with her enough to make it feel completely real you know it, it's it does what it needs to do um you know mon mothma that's the same character uh actor that they used in episode three but they cut her scene out and so i think she is downright perfect in the role i oh, think she she was great yeah. i didn't have a problem with her as a so, character i'm just like if they're going that deep it, with Tarkin yeah. and that deep with Leia, why would they not have done yeah, all those? It's other just people? time she did a great and money. Job as sure. Yeah, you know, you, the, the amount of screen time that Mon Mothma has is the same amount of time that Tarkin has, and it, mm. I think it would just cost a fortune. Uh, Dodonna is the same way. I just, it, it, he's not in the movie enough to to make that cost what you. I mean, what where you'd want to spend your resources. While we're talking with these three characters, there's one thing that kind of bothered me. I don't know if it bothered you guys or not. Vader's neck was too thick in this movie. Uh, you know, when you see the, him in a New Hope, the the out the outfit in this more closely resembles what you see in a New Hope than uh, the previous incarnation in uh, 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 Revenge of the Sith um, with the way they draped the the cape and everything. 
and any inconsistency I will mentally chalk up to he dressed <laughs> in a hurry because director Krennic had shown up. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they just got yeah, different outfits. He pulled off the wrong helmet. Yeah, he's got, yeah, he just pulled off, you know. Uh, but if this is taking place minutes before A New Hope, you know, like even at the end. No, Brandon, I've thick. heard other people say that, and actually um, my kids said that too. Uh, so I, I've heard that quite often. Yeah, but his cheeks are also symmetrical, which they weren't in the original, <laughs> you know, movie. Uh, no, they're so. not. I just rewatched A New Hope, and I was like, man, that. Yeah, no, they, they made a big deal in episode three when they uh, laser sculpt, they, they th- like laser sculpted his helmet in that one. The guy doing the props actually said, this is the first time we're going to have a perfectly symmetrical Vader mask in the history of Star Wars. So, well, I mean, before you know. it was by hand. So, right. I mean, you, and you can, I, I mean, you can tell. One oh, of the, especially one of in his a new hope. Unquote, yeah. Cheeks in a new hope. You can see like mm-hmm. almost like finger indents on it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And Vader could have various masks. You know, it's like in Star Trek Beyond where Kirk opens his closet and there's the same uniform. Well, Vader's got several of the same masks. They're just slightly different. Oh, yeah. So in this one, he's like, got to put on my murdering mask. And then like <laughs> a, a new hope, he's like, no, I'm going to put on my questioning mask. <laughs> It, it's it's like those t-shirts where they have the emotion for the character but it's always just the same picture yeah, you know exactly. Vader is that one yeah. it's pretty right. much just the same mask with like a variation right, you know right <laughs> oh murdering mask <laughs> <laughs> oh god okay so this film and we've talked about it and their whole articles just with chock full of things that where this movie is just kind of weaving that tapestry where you see tons of Easter eggs. And and this movie, there are, this is the part where I just wanted to cheer. I saw Chopper. I saw the ghost. They called for General Sandula over the comms. Uh, of course, Bail Organa saw the Wills, Vader's castle. I mean, this movie was just embracing everything that was Star Wars and weaving that all together was just phenomenal. I mean, they even answered why Luke is called Rogue Five. Rogue Five dies. So they they just replaced Rogue Five with Luke. And I just I that kind of stuff, like it's just tiny little details like that. But again, giving Rebels love and and giving the Clone Wars love and and then just sprinkling in all these other little things that's what the connective tissue and weaving the tapestry of star wars as we're continuing to to this is exactly how you do it this is exactly how you do it and don't forget the most important one the blue milk yeah blue milk (laughs) yeah uh you know um i i definitely think that there is a lot for i and again i will i will still i will still wrestle i think that there is that connective tissue i think that there's a lot of things to make hardcore fans happy and i'll always i i will continually ask people who see the movie who i know aren't as into it as the four of us are i will continually ask them because i know of somebody i was uh, again i was talking about it with uh with with schindler um uh over on great shot kid and he mentioned how there was a a non-fan who watched rogue one somebody who was too young to like had gotten into star Wars by this point and everything and walked out of it and was, and their basic reaction was, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't really care. Like I, I will always, you know, all, all of the stuff that they did to draw us in. I don't know if it skews opinion or not because we know 
But what who cares, John? No, no, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna. Who freaking cares if it skews opinion? It's a freaking Star Wars movie. It's made for Star Wars fans. Yes, they want other people to like it too, but they're also doing it for the fans. So everything that you're saying, like I don't, I'm I'm upset right now because I just don't understand who freaking cares if everybody gets everything. Like they're doing it for you, they're doing it for me, and I don't care if other people get it. I do, and I I love it. Right, but I like I'm just saying in terms of being somebody who isn't. You, looking at it from two different perspectives, looking at it from the perspective of somebody who's a diehard Star Wars fan, but then also looking at somebody who's just like, you know, just a fan of cinema. Like for me to, you know, I, I really want something to be able to operate on, you know, both levels and be accessible to as many people as possible. And, you know, get back to that question of like, sure, it's entertainment, but is it art? Does it need to be art? Does it need to be these things or that things? Like, it's it's almost like, um, you know, the the, and I'm not saying that the movies are going to be the same value or goodness or enjoyability or anything like that. But for instance, at this point when they come out, and the the trailer was in front of Rogue One, when they come out with Fate, the trailer for Fate of the Furious. I'm a huge Fast and Furious series fan. And I'm sitting there, I'm clapping like a trained seal, giggling while I'm watching Fate of the Furious Theater. I'm like, yay, and I'm going to use the hashtag. (laughs) But then there's going to be somebody sitting next to me that's like, what the hell is going on? And it's like... sub? Yeah. Is that a submarine? Yeah. And so... (laughs) I'm like that because I could care less about those movies. Right. But but that's that's the... Just because I've chosen not to watch them. But that's the thing. I can fully embrace the fact that when I go to see Fate of the Furious, it is a love letter just to me. They're just saying, you know what? Let's just... You like it. Come back here and come and see it again. And I will say, yes, sir, I'm coming to see that movie right now. But I want, I I really want the movie, like I would love to go to Fate of the Furious and then come out of it and say, oh my gosh, if you haven't seen any of the previous seven, you can go see this one and have a great time. And, you know, that like that's, I think that in a certain sense, I I look for that in any movie that I watch, regardless of what franchise it is. And since I yelled at you, I'll, I'll answer first. I do think that people who don't know Star Wars as well as we do can still enjoy this movie because I think Brandon made actually a fantastic point earlier was that this movie is a full story for the characters that are in it. And so... You you know you actually get to follow the full character arc of Jin and everybody else that really we meet in this movie that are our quote unquote main characters, and I think they they did that intentionally because they want they want people who haven't seen everything in Star Wars to still feel like they can see the movie and get something out of it, and then of course they also do really care about and and this is where. I felt like they weren't afraid to make a movie, a Star Wars movie, for Star Wars fans. And think of them first and not the general audience. And I'm okay with that. Because honestly, that's at this point, that's what I wanted with... And this is what I was frustrated by with Force Awakens, is it felt like it was divorced from the rest of the Star Wars franchise in a lot of ways... 
because it was just telling me a story I'd already really seen and not in a new and exciting way. And it felt divorced from the history of Star Wars. But this is a movie that celebrates the history of all of Star Wars before and after. And I thought that that was really cool. And in fact, I even saw parts of this movie where I was like, oh, I could see where they could pick up some piece of that and and use it in the sequel trilogy. Uh, you know, like it wasn't, it was every part of Star Wars. And, and that to me is why I like this movie so much more than I like The Force Awakens. It, it just, it spoke to me on, and, on every level, but I do think that you could get something out of it and enjoy it even if you hadn't seen everything that we've seen. And I mean, you know, John, you and I and Bruce specifically, we've seen everything there is to see in Star Wars. So, and, and you know, Brandon hasn't and he still really enjoyed it and liked it much more than The Force Awakens. So I think we kind of answered the question about, I mean, we even have our guinea pig right here. <laughs> I, I yeah that's fine uh, brandon did you like the prequels um i d- i really do like the prequels a lot um I, i'm not a huge fan of the phantom menace i will say that right out right out but uh i really like a lot of the stuff that happens in two and three that i think are really cool i love watching yoda lightsaber battle with palpatine i think that is absolutely fantastic i love camino i think that those aliens on camino with the long arms are so cool uh, so there is a lot of stuff that I really do like. I'm not a big fan of Hayden Hayden Christensen uh, as uh, as Anakin, but uh, uh, honestly, I think that they're both Episode two and three. I think are better than The Force Awakens. I think. Well, I mean, the the thing is, I, I again, like I, I'm not, I'm actually not interested in, in like uh, the the Force Awakens comparison. And I know we're you know we're like, it's impossible to avoid and everything like that. But I just you know just in terms of uh, like I I get. I get the positive wave and I did like and enjoy this film, but I think that there were definitely things that could have been done better that weren't uh, as technically successful as they should have been, as I would have hoped they would have been just in terms of just a general movie structure sort of thing. And I think that it's very easy to forgive those sins because, you know, at the end I'm giggling because Vader's killing everybody. Or the the shot of the Star Destroyers being shoved together is just brilliantly animated and beautiful to look at, you know, and those sorts of things. So it's, you know, I, I think that there is very much a, uh, you know, an effect that that could, you know, sort of uh, work in its favor now, but against it later sort of thing. And, it, you know, that's just part of my own reaction to it. You know, it, you know, it, just seeing some of the shortcomings that are there. I honestly think this movie will continue to grow in people's opinion, especially because people that might be in the position you're talking about that haven't seen as much of Star Wars will then go see the rest of Star Wars, and they're going to think back on this and be like, oh, that's what, you know, like they're going to put all the pieces of the puzzle together that we already have, and I think they'll continue continually look back and and enjoy the way in which this lovingly reflects that history that we already know i don't know what do you think bruce i think this works better than the aftermath novels Uh, and i yeah you're setting the bar (laughs) awful high there bruce (laughs) and you know i say that and i'm kind of joking but i mean i am joking but it it 
I bring that up also because actually I did think of Aftermath when I watched this movie at one point because I thought this movie shows that you can make a Star Wars movie without having your main characters that you know from the previous movies that you can set up a separate story within this universe and still make it relevant and have enough connection there and enough tissue with all the movies and all the mythology to make this worthwhile. It means something. And I didn't get that from the aftermath novels. So my point is that this works. You don't have to have Luke Han and Leia. You don't have to have Skywalkers. You can have any characters in a star Wars movie and make it work. I agree 100%. I mean, I I love the anthology format of this and I really hope that they do more. You know, not I don't want to see Rogue 2, right? I want to see something else. I want I can't wait for the Han Solo one. But I want to see something else. I don't want to just focus on the characters that we know. And I was a big champion. I know that it's not going to be there, but I was a big champion for um the new Star Trek series to be an anthology type show. I mean, like I love True Detective, sorry. Uh, you know, True Detective, the anthology format of that show is is fantastic. And I'm I wanna see this now. I wanna see this more. I just started watching Black Mirror as well. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but that's an, another anthology show where each episode is independently from every other episode that's come before it. And it's such it it opens up such a fascinating treasure of storytelling opportunities and it's rich and diverse and i I don't know i think it's i think that's one of the things that makes it so appealing and i think it's one of the things that'll make it so accessible to the average audience member well uh, the biggest the biggest theme I, i really enjoyed in the movie was just the power of hope and a sacrifice and i i thought you know obviously it's it's really tied up in the speech that that Jin gives you know about you know you give up or you know you give up you go home or or you you fight and uh, you know you can tell that the rebellion is is really on that knife's edge uh, after you know 19 years of of slowly trying to put all this together and and I thought it was a great story about you know perseverance and the courage to act even when you don't know how the outcome's going to to come you know that the importance of having faith and hope and love you know faith leads to the the fact the faith that that something can change leads to the hope that it really can and and the love to make that play out uh, the the love for something other than yourself, and I think that is really the the journey that Jin goes on in here, where she makes that change, and so does you know the rebellion of of getting the courage to actually do something. And I just I don't know. I, to me, after the year that we've had here in 2016, uh, it really struck home for me the importance of hope, and and that you know if you're if you really believe in something, it's probably going to take sacrifice to make it happen. And sometimes that sacrifice costs your life, you know. But if you really, truly believe in something, uh, freedom isn't free, you know. And, and I, I loved that whole, that whole idea in this film. The sacrifice part of the storyline really affected me a lot watching this because I think it, I think it not only provided a valuable message for the film, in that, you know, like, they're, they're sacrificing themselves for the greater good. 
right? And it, I don't know that it generally portrays war in a positive light. Like a lot of war movies will take the stance that it's either portraying war positively or it's portraying war negatively. And I, I think it leaves it ambiguous in this film, right? These people are portrayed as heroes, which is positive, but it also shows the negative ramifications of what's happening to them because of the war. But it also enhanced the storytelling because the fact that every single main character in this movie dies amps up the climax of the film. Like, we know that they're going to get the plans, right? But because all of these people are dying along the way and it makes it harder and harder, it is, it's amping up the tension. All of this sacrifice is amping up the tension of, are they going to get the plans? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And it's I, I came into this film hearing people say, well, since this is a standalone film, you know, they're probably going to kill off all the characters. And I was like, eh, I don't think, I, th I'm sure they're going to kill off some of them, but they'll probably write it where a hero rides off into the distance, never to be seen again for some reason or whatever. And I thought it was a very bold choice that they actually decided in a Star Wars movie, which tends to try to be family friendly as it can, that they're going to kill off all of our heroes and all these main characters and but not in a gruesome way but in this heroic way each individually and it really hones in on the idea of sacrificing yourself for the greater good and it also shows to me how much the rebels and the alliance really put themselves on the line which i never really got as much from the other movies because they were faceless characters that usually died. Uh, so in this context, it really changes the way I look at A New Hope that, man, people that are real people are dying for their beliefs. And hope is such a great message in this because it leads right into A New Hope. And it's the last line of the movie and uh, it's also a name of the, you know, one of the suites of scores in the soundtrack. It was interesting because, you know, it, this is a period where we really have, you know, broken faith and a galaxy that is feeling hopeless. And what I really liked in this film is, you know, the faith in the force, you know, the, the force has kind of been it seems to have been dormant because there are no Jedi, but there are all these people who still believe in the force. Jin's mother, uh, cheer it. All of these other people. And, and that the force is having an impact, even though the Jedi aren't there to wield it, you know, to, to use its power for, for good. The forces is, is still active. I thought that was fascinating to me. Uh, and that it's, it's moving in mysterious ways and it's bringing all these people together that can make a difference. And it's right on the cusp of the return of the Jedi. You know, Obi-Wan Kenobi is about to come back. He's about to start training Luke and everything is about to change again. I just, I love that this movie doesn't have Jedi in it, but it, it still has the force. And I thought that was really fascinating to see the way that the Force is very active through the film, even though it doesn't have a main conduit like an Obi-Wan Kenobi. So when Chariot's walking to get the Master Switch, he's believing in the Force. He's, I think he's 
either tapping or sensing or just, you know, putting his faith into the force that he can walk there without getting shot. And I thought that was great because for years I've always heard people say, oh, stormtroopers are bad shots. And I used to think, are they? Or is it because our heroes always seem to not get hit by a blaster from stormtroopers because the force is with them and the force is, is working its its magic and in, in helping them to get avoid getting shot by these stormtroopers because the force isn't with the stormtroopers. And I thought, is that what's happened with Chariot too? So I like that part of it because I do feel like the force is at play. It doesn't mean you have to know how to use the force to have the force work. The force can do it on its own. It has its own agenda. See, that scene there was one of the only things that I like. I thought something was going to happen and it didn't. When they showed that close-up of the handle that he had to pull, uh, I thought Chirrut was going to pull the lever with the force. And that's what I wanted to happen. I, as much as I loved the scene of him going out in the middle of the blaster fire, I wanted him to pull it with the force. And it kind of made me think, like, because, again, I, I'm not as deeply versed in the expanded universe as you guys. Are these, can, can force users be muggles? Like, can you, can they come from, like, not having the midichlorians or whatever? And like learn the ways of the force, and I, I don't know. Like, could this guy have studied the force enough in uh, taking care of these kyber crystals or whatever that he could develop the force powers? I don't know. Like, I'm not as deep into the extended universe as you guys. There's are muggles in Star Wars. That's... <laughs> there are, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean I, that's a good question. And even in the visual dictionary, it says seemingly is not force sensitive. So there's the question of whether. I think that that's the question, and I think it's ambiguous on purpose on whether he is truly force sensitive or not. And I, I like that. I like that they don't answer the question in that in that scene. Um, I, I just thought it was fascinating that the movie is not devoid of the force. It's still a power that's working throughout the galaxy, even if there aren't Jedi involved. And the the idea that even even um, the little scene where they're trying to get into the gate uh, there at Scarif and Jin is holding her kyber crystal and and almost and, and you get the sense that she's praying that they'll get in and then they get in. Uh, you know the force is at work because people are actively pursuing um, it. And I just thought that was an interesting thing in Star Wars. It's a continuation of of the whole idea of of the Force and how it works, uh, and without the Jedi. So, and Brandon, I just want to say to your question: when I look at Chariot, I think that I this is just my opinion. I think there are people like him that can sense the Force, but they don't have the abilities or the skills to use the Force, like Maz Kanata. Yes, exactly. So, what did you guys think about the music? Because, you know, this this is our first big Star Wars film. I mean, obviously the Clone Wars movie came out, and we had Kevin Kiner do the music for that. What did you think of Michael Giacchino's music here for Rogue One? I really like it a lot. Uh, I'm so pleased that he got into this. I was hoping that if we had a Star Wars movie, he would score one for us. And um, it's very similar in style to of course john williams music but yet different which is good because this is a different movie from the other star wars movies 
So I thought it was the right blend. I like the Jen Urso theme music, uh, which sometimes it sounds, every time it starts off, it reminds me of Across the Stars. That kind of bothers me a little. Yes, this, yes. These first few notes. But I've been listening to the soundtrack uh, several times today, and the more I listen to it, the more I'm loving it. It's not, it's not as good as some of the John Williams soundtracks from the other Star Wars movies, in my opinion, but it's close. I like it. So as the the resident music guy here, um, I I like I don't like Michael Giacchino. He's not my favorite. Like I like him, but uh, he's not my favorite. And I think his Star Wars or his Star Trek music is it, it's good, but it's you know it's not the greatest, right? But um, this score I thought was really outstanding, and I loved how he blended some John Williams material in here, and how he changed some John Williams material. You know, like uh, the Star Wars theme when Rogue One comes up on the screen. It's almost the Star Wars theme, but it's a little different. And right at the end, that last shot of Vader coming up, it's almost the Imperial March, but it's not quite the Imperial March, right? And But some of the stuff that I thought that was really cool was when he kind of got into these ethnic beats and whatnot, like that that planet that they go to with the, the mountain that's carved out of that laid-down Jedi or whatever it is. Like there's some really neat tribal drums in that. And uh, same when they get to uh, Jeddah. And that's the shot where it's panning up and you see the Star Destroyer from below. Like that music at that time is really cool as well. And uh, I think it's a very rich score and there's a lot of really cool stuff in here. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I think it's a good score. Um, and, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I think it sounds very much like a Giacchino score, which is not a bad thing. Um, you know, and I, I, I thought it was... Uh, <laughs> It was nice that it had sort of the uh, the trademark Giacchino thing of like a big ship. You know, it reminded me of the beginning of of Star Trek 09 where yeah. the big ships are <laughs> crashing, but then it's this, you know, sort of like gentle music playing. And it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, that's sort of his thing. So that's cool. Yeah, I, you know, it's good. And I, and I enjoyed it. And I, after I saw it the second time, I listened to it independently. And I, you know, I like the themes that he developed. It's a good score. I thought it was uh, nice that he created, you know, he used the Imperial March a little bit, but just when it was Vader, but he actually created his own uh, Imperial sound, which was nice because uh, A New Hope doesn't have, you know, it has its own Imperial music too. So it was almost like it was Krennic's Imperial theme. So I really liked that. And uh, I just enjoyed Jin's theme. I thought it was nice. I actually kind of liked that it, Reference just a tiny bit across the stars because uh, it was, I don't know, just something about it worked, uh, especially since her name is but from her dad is Stardust, so it seemed to make sense. Uh, and then I love the very last track that you put on the suite, the Guardian of the Wills suite. It's just a gorgeous piece of music, and uh, I, I think he did a good job. You know, to me, it it feels like what a lot of the things that we got for uh, the Clone Wars that Kiner would do to create new themes uh, and create new feels. And this movie should feel different. It shouldn't just feel like uh, an episode. Uh, and and um, when he's really on his game, Kiner does the same thing for Rebels too, especially in season two. That soundtrack, he created some incredible themes as well. So I think Giacchino does a great job. Uh, last thing I just wanted to ask you guys about, because this movie... It's chock full of stuff, like new looks for things, new things, which is surprising. I mean, U-Wings, the TIE Striker, new Imperial cargo ship, Krennic shuttle, uh, you know, you've got 
new troopers, death troopers, shore troopers. I mean, all sorts of incredible things. Uh, and if that's one thing we talked about, I know when we talked about The Force Awakens was the design work didn't seem to be maybe is, is what we would expect. But I, I wondered what you guys thought here because there's so much new stuff. I like Krennic's shuttle is uh, similar in style with those long wings, uh, similar to Kylo Ren's ship in The Force Awakens. So to me, it feels like there's a connection with that movie because there aren't that many connections between those two movies. But I like that we're not just seeing stormtroopers, that we are introduced to other troopers. It makes the galaxy feel bigger and broader to have different ships and different trooper armor, as opposed to A New Hope where everything kind of looked the same. We had, you know, X-Wings and we had stormtroopers and that was kind of it. And uh, now we have more depth and, and various looks and feels of the Empire going on. So that really enriched the universe. I loved it. Yeah, I like the design work. I, you know, I, I did like the Krennic shuttle seemed to call back to uh, Kylo Ren's. Um, I still don't have any uh, definite evidence that uh, he can't come back as Snoke, so I'm going to hold on to that one. Um, and I, you I mean, know, other than the fact that he died on a planet and got did you, you know, did you actually see him die? No, you didn't. I didn't. This I, is Star I saw Wars. him. I saw him watch For that. All I know, he Death jumped Star onto fire. a passing tie defender so. and got away. Where there was a clip. Wait, 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 wait. No, well, he did die, John. He did die because. Remember the Death Star hits the top of the. Mm -hmm. Did you actually see Citadel. him die during that moment? It pulled away to a distant shot. You don't know. He could have. You know. You can't prove it. Okay. He well, I'll let you have that one, John. That's right. A tie defender. Now, the Eagles are coming. The Eagles. Who knows? Uh, but um, you know, I I like that the you know they had the Scarif troopers, which are like basically look like modified biker scouts. I like that the. The design of the Adats um, almost seems to make the argument that when you see him again in Empire, it's like they realized what the design flaw was, and they were like, "Yeah, we got to fix that." You know, so I, you know, I, I like that, and I, you know, I just think that in terms of the design stuff, like the the fact that the CG has gotten to the point where models and computer graphics are indistinguishable from each other during space battles is just stunning to me. Like, it's just amazing. And, uh, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I, I, I thought the designs were good. There was a lot in this movie that I thought was super cool. Um, like not just the ships, but I mean, Baze's gun, I thought was just outstanding. Like that thing was so cool. How it was like, you know, I had that thing, that power pack on his back. I don't know. I thought that was outstanding. Um, I l absolutely loved, 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 the Mon Calamari Admiral's ship and how they kept doing that look down shot. That was so cool. And I mean, I didn't get that impression from Admiral Akbar's ship in Return of the Jedi that underneath him was open like that, but he was in the same kind of chair where he was like, he could move around and whatnot. But the fact that it was all glass underneath, I thought was completely epic. Um, there was so much in this movie that called back and fit in the universe to me for design. Like at the end scene, when she goes up and she has to realign that uh, that uh, dish, and the fact that she had to walk out on that thing hanging way over totally made me think of Bespin. 
you know, and so like all of this design fits within the Star Wars universe. I told that to my wife. I'm like, that's great. She's like, you like that? I thought that was dumb. I'm like, no, that totally made me think of the battle with Darth Vader and Luke and Bespin. And she's like, you know what? You're right. Because it's just such a weird, ludicrous design, but it fits in the Star Wars universe. It's beautiful. I love all the new stuff. I mean, uh, I, I've i never wanted to be in the 501st, but those shore troopers make me want to be in the 501st. I mean, those things are sharp. I just loved, those are the first stormtroopers for me that I just absolutely love. I don't know why. Something about them, just love. Uh, I thought the death troopers were really cool. Krennic special forces. Uh, those guys reminded me also of the Breen, because apparently when they talk, you can't really understand what they're saying. It's like their own special language, which was yeah. really creepy. I I love the U-Wing. I thought that was a great design. The TIE Striker was really cool. The idea that they have a, a, a TIE Fighter that's really just meant for being an atmosphere. Uh, I like the new Imperial cargo ship. I think the thing I like here is that they realized in, in ship design... Things looking, uh, having symmetry to them is really important. So Krennic Shuttle to me was the angular design of it. It was gorgeous. I just thought it was the coolest thing. Uh, it, it just, I, it really stood out to me. And then having old ships like, you know, the X-Wings look fantastic. The Star Destroyers looked phenomenal. Uh, the Ghost in the movie and, and having the Hammerhead ships from Rebels. Nice, nice call. That was awesome. Uh, and seeing two Star Destroyers, like you said, John, smash together and just rip the top off, it was uh, just phenomenal. Okay, so I didn't really buy that much damage. So the one hammerhead bumps into the other one and pushes the other one and completely cuts that ship in half. I didn't buy that that much damage would occur. I would have just expected it to bump into the other Star Destroyer and push it along. What do you, I don't they know what you guys think of that. Down. I don't care. <laughs> I, was, that's what it comes down to. It looked cool. Who cares? Yeah, it was. It did awesome. look cool. It did look awesome. Um, that one ship though looked like a turtle to me. I loved it. Like that, like that transport ship and how the mm-hmm. four big paddles came down. Yeah, it, it made yeah. me think of a turtle. You're absolutely right. Maybe You're it's the T right. wing. Um, but the T wing, the T wing, the turtle <laughs> wing. But what are those other that other outfit too? Where they were on Andor and they were white. Right, and they had the like the the kind of the goggle look on their helmet. Biker and scouts. And in this one, they were which one? Biker scouts. And then here in this one, they were brown. Yeah, the scarif troopers, or I think Matt called them also by they're, yeah, they're, they're also, the short they're troopers. Beach troopers or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That but if they're beach cool troopers, brown. they should have shorts on. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Yeah, like jams. Right. Yes. Like, why aren't they wearing shorts. jams? They should yeah. have board shorts and they should surf into yeah, every fight. It'd be awesome. Floral it would be patterns awesome. on their uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd go see the movie again if they did that. <laughs> That's the special, special edition. <laughs> okay, uh, well, I think with that, it's it's a perfect time to to ask you guys about your ratings for Rogue One. So, Brandon, your first time on the show. Uh, let's do out of 10, Rogue One. I, I love this movie. Um, I had a blast watching it. Like I said at the beginning, I have not left a theater this excited in a decade. This was absolutely fantastic. Um, there was so many wonderful callbacks and it was done in a, I feel some kind of a different way that I'm still trying to work out where they didn't bother me. Like the callouts in Star Trek Beyond, 
I found annoying watching that movie. It was like every word they said and every shot they took in that movie referenced something else in Star Trek, and it was just too much. And this one had a nice balance for me. Honestly, I think that this is probably my favorite Star Wars movie out of all of them. Like, I really love this movie, and I watch it three times, and my enjoyment has not yet gone down. Now, I personally think that people loved Star Trek Beyond and The Force Awakens so much because Star Trek Beyond wasn't Into Darkness and because The Force Awakens wasn't the prequel trilogy. So I think that they lifted up a little bit too much because they were so disappointed with what came before it. So I'm cognizant that I may be doing the same thing right now. Right, because I didn't like The Force Awakens that much. But right now, it is my favorite Star Wars movie. And I'm going to give this movie 9 out of 10 Kyber Crystals. What do you think, John? Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm not gonna get, I'm, I'm going to be the one that refuses to give it a score. And I'm simply going to say that my, my metric for this is that I enjoyed it. I've seen it more than once. I will probably see it again uh, in a different format uh, just to, you know, so I can compare and contrast and because I would be legitimately interested to see how the final battle plays in 3D, especially with IMAX laser projection. Um, but I, I think it's worth seeing, and there you go. Like, I, I think it's worth going out and trekking to the theater and seeing, and and it's a good time. And I think that the, the level uh, at which somebody's going to like it is going to vary um, depending on... You know, like, like you know, all the various different factors and everything. I, I mean, I, th I think that there, I will be very interested to continue reading things like the oral history that just came out on Empire about the, you know, the making of the movie, knowing that, for instance, like the trailers contain, I mean, like I could have watched this trailer and had Zippy spoiled, you know, like I, at this point, like I question my blackout because I'm like, well. I guess if I'd watched the trade, continued watching things, maybe I wouldn't have seen anything still. But like, I, you know, it, it's a good time and it and it's enjoyable and it is, you know, it it's a good movie. It's worth seeing. It's so hard for me sometimes to rate movies because you there's different ratings for different situations. I love this movie, but I mean, it's not best picture of the year at the Academy Awards. It's just it's not. So I'm not going to compare it to other movies i'm not going to compare it to other sci-fi movies i'm just going to kind of keep it within the context of star wars and how i felt about this movie and i think i came out of there liking it more than i thought i would and you know when i heard the force of sorry, not the force awakens when i heard that rogue one was uh being developed i thought oh what a shame that you know they can't really have tarkin in it well, maybe they'll have like a transmission from Tarkin. There'll be like this one little scene where we'll see like a holographic image of Tarkin that's CGI or whatever. But the fact that not only did we have Tarkin in the movie, he was a prominent character in several scenes. And we've come so far in our technology, and it's only going to get better to create characters like this that from actors who have passed on or not available or whatever... So there's just so many elements of this that tied all the different movies and this whole franchise together. And it's my favorite of the standalone films. And yes, I'm counting uh, Caravan of Courage and the Battle of Endor. <laughs> uh, yeah, your scale's real interesting there, Bruce. You're mentioning Aftermath and the Ewok movies. 
No, but all seriousness though. Um, so for me, just coming out of there, it felt like it felt like nine and a half Vader masks out of ten. There's one mask that broke. <laughs> that one fell on the floor and he choked somebody for it. So yeah, um, yeah. One of his acolytes was dusting in it. Yeah. Uh, I I came out of this movie and I I loved it. And then I'll just be honest that for me personally, uh, you can take my rating with the grain of salt if you want, uh, but it it hit every button that I had for Star Wars films and what I want from a new Star Wars film. And, uh, you know, there's been the rumor that Gareth Edwards would love to do a Kenobi movie. So uh, please give him that movie as soon as possible because I would love to see what he would do with that. Uh, I think he understands Star Wars. I think he understands the history, what we love about it. And I think he created a movie that I just didn't expect. I'm with you, Bruce. I didn't expect it to be this good. I thought it was going to be good. I just didn't think it would be this good. I was just utterly floored that it really is this good. And he's created so many different things uh, I feel like just like Star Wars does when it's at its best that I just want to know more about now, you know, like he answered lots of questions, but now I have like 30,000 more and I, I'm just so excited about this and I hope people will go see it and I'll, that they'll love it as much as I do. And if they are like, you know, like Brandon or, or others that where they haven't seen as much of Star Wars, they're like, oh, well, they, there's this Saul character, and I heard he's in other things, that they'll go find all of those new things and experience those, like the Clone Wars or the Catalyst Leave-In novel, which is just fantastic and, and does a great job of giving you more backstory on Galen and Krennic and uh, Lyra and everything that's going on with the Death Star. It's it's just wonderful. This is Star Wars, I think, at this point, where I want it at its best. Uh, filling in the, the details. I mean, at this point, you know, you you add more to Star Wars at this point, really, you know, the biggest chances you're going to really screw it up and just, like, make something worse somewhere. And, and this doesn't do that whatsoever. In fact, it enhances, uh, and it does change the way that I view A New Hope now completely, <laughs> which, and it does it in a good way. Uh, and that that's a phenomenal statement to be able to say, so... For me, this is definitely nine and a half out of ten U-wings crashed on a planet because they crash a lot. Uh, that maybe that's why they're not in yeah. any of the rest of the Star Wars movies. They used them all up. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but thank you guys so much for for joining me here in the last episode of, of 2016 for the 602 Club. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate everybody that that comes as a guest on this show and spends the time and the money to either see a film or sit down and watch a movie or a TV series. Uh, I, I honestly, I can't do this show without you guys. And, and I just wanted to say from the bottom of my heart, uh, how much I've appreciated this last year, spending so much time with so many of you, uh, that have been on the show and for all of you listening, thank you so much. Uh, I, I, I have, we have the best listeners and just thank you so much for, for sticking with us, being with us. We have a great year coming up for you in 2017. So I hope you'll enjoy it. Um, on that, you know, it, this network itself, Trek FM, it, it does cost a lot of money to do this. And that means we can't do it without your help. So I, I hope that you'll go over to patreon.com slash Trek FM and see throughout the next year how you can make sure all of the content keeps coming to you each and every week. Uh, we have some great 
associate producers through Patreon here, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson, Norman Lau. These, these guys have been with me uh, from almost the very beginning. And I appreciate their support so much and making sure the 602 Club keeps coming to each and every week and everything else. So again, go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how just a little bit every month makes sure that all the shows keep coming to you. Now, gentlemen, again, my heartfelt thanks for, for you spending the time to go see the movie and come on the show and talk about it with me. Uh, Brandon, before we get out of here, uh, Ruby is literally kicking me out right now. Where can we find you on the line and on the network? Well, you can find me here on the network with new episodes of Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. And I tend to expand a little bit on it. We've got lots of great interviews there. Uh, you can also find me on many recent new episodes of Warp 5, which is our Enterprise podcast. And that's been a lot of fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella, and every once in a while I poke my head up in the Babel Conference. Um, I've also been uh, helping out quite a bit with the, with the actual Patreon stuff. So uh, at the $15 a month level, just so you guys know, you can join us once a month for a special roundtable episode, and that's going to get released in our, in our master feed so other people can listen to you talk about Star Trek. Uh, plus we're doing some exclusive bonus content on there, plus early releases have been happening. Uh, it's a lot of fun, so... We hope to see you there on Patreon. And thanks very much for having me on here. It was a lot of fun talking about Rogue One. Yeah, man. Thanks for being on your first uh, 602 episode. This is fantastic. Bruce, uh, where can we find you online, and uh, what else have you got going well, thanks on? Thanks for having me on the show. It encouraged me to go see this movie. So you can find... Well, I knew you weren't going to see it <laughs> exactly. unless I told I you to. I had no so. desire to go see it at all. Yeah, not at all. Um, I... You can find me here on the network at Trek FM on Literary Treks with Matt and Dan, even though Matt just did his last show. We just recently released that as co-host, but he'll be on occasionally. And uh, also, I'm on the Star Wars Report podcast, where we'll be talking about what we just talked about on the show. <laughs> but you'll hear different opinions because there'll be different people. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And I'm poking around the Babel Conference myself. And my friend and Jedi Master, Mr. Mills, where can we find you? Kessel Junkie Online. You can find me on Trek FM, uh, co-hosting Stage 9 with Mike Schindler. You can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. You can find me uh, over on the Nerd Party Network, co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations with you, Matt. And also co-hosting Great Shot Kid with Mike Schindler. So, uh, and when I'm not doing that, I'm um, sleeping. <laughs> and I highly encourage that if you haven't checked out Aggressive Negotiations or Great Shot Kid, they're really fun Star Wars podcasts. So go over to the nerdparty.com, do yourself a favor, and check both of them out because you, you're going to love them. Uh, and I, I endorse I, that. Yeah, I'm on one of them, but. Yeah, check out both of them anyway. I, I don't let that you know keep you from it. Uh, you can okay. find me here on the network. Uh, I'm I'm doing the orb with Chris Jones, uh, and uh, we're all praying that uh, Chris will be able to recover soon, so we'll have new episodes. But I appreciate everybody uh, allowing us uh, the time for that to happen for Chris, and uh, we hope that in 2017 to be back. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at mattrushing02, and of course you can find the 602 Club has a special Star Wars feed, Star Wars, a 602 Club collection. It just keeps all the Star Wars episodes in one place. That's on iTunes as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And may the Force be with you. 